Many of you know Axis deer is considered to be the best tasting venison on the planet. I've been hearing that for years. And that those deer cause some ecological harm. Well, Maui Nui Venison is bringing those Axis deer to the market. So you can get some fresh cuts and sticks shipped to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that sport dog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash MEATEATER to learn more. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. A uh, couple quick questions. Dan, are those uh, are those hippie prayer flags hanging in your window? <laughs> yeah, they are. They really? are. Yeah. Why is that? Is that really the message you want to send to the outside world? Yeah, I had nothing to do with that. That was a uh, art project of, uh, I believe, my daughter at school. So they indoctrinate children up in Anchorage to hang Tibetan prayer flags in their windows. Yeah, it, it's, does she uh, know what? Does uh, she know what it means? I, I I don't know what lesson came along with that, but that it's a uh, yeah, that was a Anchorage public school district uh, art project. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, second question, real quick. How do you fill those bird feeders? Uh, Karina, my wife, walks out the window uh, onto that roof right there every few days and pours bird seed in there. She risks life and limb for those birds. Yeah, yeah. Yanni, do you remember the the song I wrote? Um, <laughs> Yanni, Yanni, Chimani. I do. King of the Cassare. I do remember that. I would have, had I known at the time, had I not just learned the other day that you were a, that you chewed chewing tobacco, you dipped mm-hmm. chew dog. Yeah, as a listener wrote in, you were a chaw dog. You chaw dogged it for seventeen years. I would have written that into the song because <laughs> the song captures your whole life, right? You almost would have had to. You couldn't have omitted uh-uh. that important. Yeah, fact. I was brought up doing Latvian things, and now he wears a Latvian <laughs> ring. I would have put a his grandpa come from a land far away. Uh, 
I would have put in like a long passage about about all that chewing tobacco, me spitting and smoking. So why did you get out? Why did you get out of it? Why did you get away from chewing? For the health benefits. But there are no health negatives. Look at dirt. Yeah, I feel great. I don't know. I feel as like a third above thirty five year old. He should have easily beaten the uh, senior in the uh, arm wrestling contest yesterday, but it ended in a, a match draw. Yeah, in a draw. And so I feel like he's a little, he's, he should be stronger than he is. You feel that the dip Injury. is what ex- was why you beat him arm wrestling. Oh, no, I no, didn't beat him. It was yeah, a draw. That, that dip wasn't oh, slowing him down on the I thought climbing. you got him in the end. You guys, <laughs> you guys quit at a draw? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's we're talking critical. about. We need to rematch. If you'd have had a hat and turned it backwards like in Sylvester Stallone's over the top, either one of you, I think you would have. I don't know, man. That was that didn't help Chris. No, well, nothing would help me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not putting anybody down. But uh, no, you, both of you guys were turning purple I at the end. Some. I haven't seen like dirt pulled a heart muscle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> arm wrestling. <laughs> so, at what age did you start? At what age did you start uh, being a tobacco user? I probably started smoking cigarettes. At I don't know, dabbling at twelve, and I certainly by <laughs> you certainly, were running cigarettes. Certainly at what age? by the time of like high school, I think I was smoking fairly regularly. And you were distributing cigarettes at a young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I told you a story about how I got caught at Latvian Summer High School within the first two or three days of being there, because I had a couple cartons of cigarettes that I had some older kids bring in for me, and I got turned in. I got ratted out by a uh, roommate. For selling. For selling cigarettes, yeah. But I told my dad, and the, the, the story, go, the funny part of the story is that we were, Danny and I were talking about how it's, you know, it's better to t- try to teach your kids, like, kind of put everything on the table, you know, bring stuff to you as opposed to, you know, finding it out. And, oh, yeah, you know, and then and not you, get mad at them right. when they tell you. Only get mad at them when yeah. they lie to you. So I had to write, uh, most kids' parents lived, you know, who knows, days away or flights away from Latvian Summer High School, but we were only 30 minutes away, which is good and bad, you know, because I had access to things that got me into a lot of trouble, right? Because we could just zip home and get into trouble yeah. and bring I, things in. <laughs> I do happen to know where there's a bottle of vodka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll be back in 60. But yeah, so instead of waiting for the letter to get to my dad, I uh, I just told him, and he was like, "Hey, well, you know, next time when you want to sell something, you should sell like candy or something like that, <laughs> not cigarettes." And he, and he was off. So because you think, I think he had he, something else I, on yeah, his mind? Yeah, I think he was distracted. He must have been distracted because I was expecting a real talking to, real whooping, you know. But he kind of sloughed it off and left me kind of bewildered as he drove away. <laughs> <laughs> so you got out of smoking. And then you transition. No, no, no. Into so, jaw was there an I, overlap? Oh, definitely. No, oh, I had man. a pro. I had a program because um, I sort of tried to s- s- remain an athlete even as through my like heavy partying years in high school. And so I would chew all day, so I, so that I could like if I knew I had a volleyball game or some sort of sporting activity in the afternoon, and then smoke cigarettes as I partied after that. I knew guys in high school that was the move when they were trying to cut weight. For wrestling, oh, just, yeah. Oh my god, those guys in high class. school, they walk around with a giant one liter. Oh, yeah, spit. good friends of mine, man, man, wearing garbage bags around. Yeah, Ugh. 
filling bottles full of spit, uh-huh. Johnny Merchant, Craig Christensen. <laughs> That's not healthy for you. <laughs> Dropping the weight. No. Goodness. They look like they're skin and bones by the time it's time for a match. This is the you, you're hearing the voice of a, of a for your, your first time around the show. That's true. Levi, I don't even know your last name. It's Meyer. <laughs> Levi Meyer. Yep. Fresh out of the military. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. Lay out your mil- lay out your military deal real quick. Uh, yeah. So I joined in 2009 um, in the army. Became a medic. Uh, went to airborne school. Yeah. Right out of the gate. Um, went from <laughs> medic training to airborne school to Iraq within like a one month period. Whoa. <laughs> it, was, it was quick. And then, and then hung around Afghanistan. Yeah, later later in my military career, went to Afghanistan. And then uh, got out of active duty Army December of uh, 2016. And you're having to chew right now. No, I spit it out. As you spit a, it out? As a courtesy for, so for you, Steve. That little cup. No, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> Dirt's having to chew. He's spitting into a Starbucks cup. Do you know I hang out with the guy that manufactures the sleeve on that cup? I've, I went turkey hunting with him, Matt Cook. Oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, let's see what he thinks. So, Yanni, you dip for... All those years then quit. Yeah. Yeah, I think I finally was able to kick it like probably early, like done, done, late 20s. Oh, early, okay. Were you telling me that you relapsed though at one point? Like you quit for a long time in that time period that you hit it again? Yeah. Did you guys see me have that dip the other day? Oh, I did yeah. For about five seconds. Suck yeah. the mar- marrow out of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I spit it out yeah. so quick because I was able to suck the marrow <laughs> from that stuff. Dirk, can you can you share with us the... I'd like to follow up, though, with you asking why. Oh, I'm not why, done talking about this, oh, by a long shot. Oh, <laughs> but, but go ahead. No, go no, ahead. no, no, no. follow up. No, I'm not I just, I, Another big reason I quit is that eventually, and you know, everybody battles this, you know, when you're trying battles to... Battles what? When you're trying to quit, right? It's just like, it's it seems so impossible. And eventually I came to a point where Are I you just listening, said, Dirk? you know, I oh, have... Yeah. Like, I have to be stronger than this stupid little thing that's in this little tin, you know? Like, I just, like, I can't be so weak that this little thing is going to control me. You, you hearing know? this dirt? Oh, yeah. And so I just said, that, and that that almost became more important to me than the health benefits. Just being, like, <laughs> being able to say F you to, this, chew. to the addiction, you know? <laughs> F you to the chew. <laughs> dirt doesn't feel that way. Well, like I said, I'm not, I don't want to quit quite yet. Was it 42 and a half? <laughs> yeah. You did, yeah. though. A month ago, you wanted to quit. Uh, yeah, maybe. The, the other day, dirt smoking up a mountainside, and I brought up, you know, the way that the the chew could impact that. And he was saying that when they do start carving away pieces of his face, he's going to have better air pass through, <laughs> more aerodynamic, <laughs> more aerodynamic, and won't have like all the wind resistance that his current facial structure gives him. <laughs> Possible. Share, share with us what that lady was telling you who used to work on ski lifts with you. Oh, she said she was always, uh, she held chewers at a higher regard than smokers because all the chewers in her life were doers, like, you know, wrenching, fencing, what have you. Smokers or watchers. Smokers or watchers. <laughs> Dude, that is so true, man. It never yeah. occurred to me until you said it. Oh, yeah. It's so true. Dudes that dip, are generally productive people. Yeah, because it's hands free. Yeah. yeah, smokers are like watchers and like, oh, you know, the smoker, he, he's the kind of guy. Like, oh, I wouldn't out. do it that way. Yeah, well, never, <laughs> that's never gonna work. Looking his ash everywhere. Yeah, that's not, that's not how you do that. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Dude, a dipper. But there is the anomaly though. 
of the guy or gal that just can just lip it and just can like take that smoke going into their nose and eyeballs and it's like it's not even there and they can work right next to a chewer. It's an anomaly, but yeah. I've seen them. Well, where they like they light it and it just stays between their two lips and they're just doing. A stuff. buddy of mine growing up, he viewed the whole world through one eye. <laughs> because he would tip working on his car he would have a cigarette in tip his head close the close the upper eye or the down eye i guess where he had the cigarette dangling off and just keep going yeah you never hear of anybody taking a dip break it's always no. a smoke break yeah, yeah. and yeah. dipper can't afford to take a break no they're too much <laughs> i really w- doing would stuff. like to get into it no. I would like to get into it. <laughs> and, and, no, I want to get into it. I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of the transition period where you got to throw up. But here's the deal. <laughs> I went through that with alcohol without even thinking about it. That thing. Like oh, if yeah, you say yeah. like if you're young and like hey I want to start drinking, people aren't like oh man you get so sick at first. No one says that. No. But it's true. When you're learning to drink, you have to throw up a whole bunch. But it, it, they don't talk about it. It's just a secret. It's like an open secret. With dip. They scare you by being, yeah, but you got to get sick at first. I never did. You took right to it. Yeah. Sam Hould, I was telling Danny, gave me my first chew. Miles yeah, I, I fish with him now. Yeah. Um, to that point, though, we were talking about sh- the memory loss of uh, any type of suffrage. Like Suffrage means the right to vote. Or that's a word I'm thinking of. Suffering? Suffering. <laughs> <laughs> But like, you know, like we were talking about, like, we're like, man, that was the craziest hike we've ever done. It's like, oh, no, there was this one, that one, that one. You, you forget. And with someone brought up, uh, oh, you brought up childbirth. Mm-hmm. A lot of women will forget how painful the first one is. Re-reminded when they have their number two or three or onward. And you're saying that you're learning to dip actually did cause pain. No, but other people, you know, forget that drinking's. And and maybe tobacco use initially had a, a rough start with their system. Yeah, and the other reason I'm drawn to dipping uh, or would like to get involved in it is because th- there's no lung problems. No. And you know what? I got a theory. That, it's just vanity. It's like, do you want your face all carved up? <laughs> because Potentially. a smoker, not only is he useless because he's only got one hand and one of his eyes is blind all the time. And can't be around flammable stuff. Really. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and can't. And you got to keep him away from your flammables. Can't pump his own gas. Pretty soon, <laughs> that same smoker can't do shit if he wants to because he's destroyed his lungs. Yeah, but you do. But a dipper could keep on working. But yeah. you got to watch your heart still with the dip. Oh, yeah. you do? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. restricts yeah. your blood vessels. Well, oh, there is a downside to dip. Mm-hmm. No, no, but see, I have a theory about this. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell. I mean, I've told you guys. I, I know I've told some other buddies, but. I feel like because I'm chewing often. You're chewing right now. Yeah. My blood vessels, like, they're having to work. But when I, like, go ski touring or when we go on big hikes, I'm not chewing. And I, like, get that bonus regular blood vessel size. You know what I mean? It's like training no, I with a, I don't know what you mean. It's like training with a weight vest. And then when you go actually do the activity, you don't have that weight vest. And you're just, like. Just ripping. Yeah. So when I don't have a chew in. I'm like, oh, damn, this is what. Is it also is nice. like high altitude training where people wear yeah, like. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So he's working out right now. Yeah. He is. <laughs> he charged up the mountain, man. That uh, one day just. Oh. It, dude, there's something to it because that flew, man. That was the moment when I said dipping 
is something I want to get involved yeah. in. <laughs> because everything else is the same. Uh-huh. Everything else, all things are equal, except he dips the most. No, yeah. no. I brought up the point. My time, I have much more spare time to be out doing cardio activities because I don't have a family or a house or pets or anything. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's the that's the main thing. I mean, the, you know, doing something every day. The other day when I was thinking about uh, how you got to throw up a lot when you want to start, <laughs> when you want to get into drinking, even long after, I remember coming home. I don't know why. You know, you're hiking, your mind kind of wanders. And I was oh, yeah. remembered to coming home once. I had to, somehow I came in, when I was living in western Montana, Missoula, I had this banana tree. And uh, I remember a couple times over the years coming home from the bar and puking into that banana tree pot. It was a giant pot that I kept in my bedroom and just getting over there and puking in there and just composting it in, man. Uh. <laughs> like, stirring it into the soil, stirring it into the potting soil, man, just composting it in rather than trying to, because it kind of, you, know, you wouldn't get to it till the morning, you know, and then it kind of filter, right? Because all the liquids go through and do whatever you're. <laughs> oh, I'm getting a little nauseous yeah. right now. Yeah, you drink Not some. Not to compost it in. And I remember having that banana plant, man. I kind of love that banana tree. And one time I was moving, it was 10 below zero outside, and I got like my van all heated up, and I wrapped it in plastic and took that thing just long enough to go outside down, put into a vehicle. It froze to death. Really? Yep. That fast? Just, yeah. And then the, the, the leaves froze, it wilted and died. Was it you were transitioning in your life Trying to too? move. No, 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 no. It wasn't like, it wasn't feeling like, it wasn't, the tro- it wasn't like the psychological symbolic. trauma didn't get to the plant. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You drank some funky stuff though, like in Mad Dog and, or was that, that was earlier? Well, yeah, because, you know, like most people at that age, we didn't have any like a lot of money to like to really be putting into that kind of stuff so we you know you'd go out to the bar but you'd always drink before you go to the bar bottle of Mad i mean every, like, at that age everybody does that you like oh like, still do yeah that. because you can't be going down and getting the whole project taken care of <laughs> at like such a high rate of pay you know yeah or like so you'd, you'd have drinks before yeah yeah we drink like boons <laughs> snowberry what was that stuff ice fishing Oh God! Snowberry Creek or whatever oh, the hell it was so. flavor. I remember coming home from work and drinking a bottle of Boons in the shower. A whole bottle of yeah, Boons in the shower. Yeah, just getting cleaned up, getting ready to go out and just <laughs> go in the shower with a cold Get bottle. Oh, go in the shower with a cold <laughs> bottle of Boons farm and drink it. I used to love drinking that. I can't at, believe it. it. Kind of amazes me that I don't drink it all now because I used to love it. Yeah, but, uh, that's funny. You'd be like, banana plant, this is for you. I'm doing this for you. I'll feed you later. Yeah. <laughs> don't, say I never, don't say I never fertilized you. You're a baby bird in the banana plant. <laughs> any, any, anything else anybody wants to add on this? If you could go back and n- never, ever have a drop of alcohol. Not a chance, man. Not a chance. Um, for a handful of reasons. All, what I shared in like I was always very suspicious of people that didn't drink. I'd be like, "What's wrong with that guy?" And um, now I'm not, but I was, and so it kind of led me into like all my friends that I'm still friends with. We used to just drink, we used to fish together, drink together, and hang out together. And so if I wasn't drinking, like I don't know what I, I don't know who I would have wound up hanging out with. Do you know what I mean like? Our bonds were all formed 
around like shared interests, which included alcohol. So if I had missed all the nighttime stuff, yeah, who would I be hanging out with now? A bunch of lamos. I don't know. Right? Like Eduardo Garcia says, you're forged by fire, man. Ooh, and I, I think like that it. all that being hung over and trying to fish and that's the fire that forges you. So the, for that reason, and two, in the writing world, like alcohol is a real problem in the writing world. Um, you know, it's just, I mean, it's like, it's just no joke that like there's a lot of alcoholism among writers. But by being a avid drinker, I was able to associate with and, and hang out with and spend time with writers because they would all connect around the act of drinking. So I formed a lot of like good relationships with writers by being a drinker. If you weren't a drinker, I don't know who you, who you like. I just you know I mean I can't picture any of the any of the the, the people that had a big influence on me. I look and when I think like what was going on, like that was the whole thing. That's what you were doing. You're like going over so and so's for drinks, going to the bar to drink. It's been going, going on for ice eons, fishing, right? going ice fishing to yeah. drink. So, it, it, like, to say, like, you never drank, it's like, okay, presumably that means you missed out on all of that. And other people get in other places, but I don't know where I would have gotten it. You know? Never drank in the woods. Ever. I mean, on, on overnight backpacking trips, maybe, like, a little nip. Never went out on a backpacking trip or on a backpack hunt and got drunk. Ever. Yeah, we all, growing up, we always used to look down on the the type of hunter that went to deer camp and just got sloppy drunk every night and didn't get up in the morning to, to hunt, you know, like there was like the beer drinking type of deer hunters. And then there was like the guys that were out there to shoot deer. Yeah. And when they were in town, they got wasted, but not out in the woods. Time and place. Yeah. So no, no regrets about it. I regret having quit it. <laughs> we haven't quit. You had a yeah, they quit you. It quit me, and I, I, I do. I miss it. I miss it terribly, man. Because everything's so funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like stuff's not funny anymore. No, we've had a lot of laughs on this trip sober. Remember one night we were drinking in Danny's kitchen, laughing about how he was afraid to touch his dog's penis. <laughs> <laughs> like now, like he just didn't like the he just didn't like the idea of it, well, right? Yeah. And like if we weren't drinking, if we weren't drinking, it wouldn't have come up. It just came up now. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I just feel like I'm invading his personal space. <laughs> he's like, I don't want someone grabbing me there. There's that one spot just too low on a belly rub, man. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, I felt like, yeah, he's just explaining it. So that's like the kind of insight that you just miss out on when you're like, when you're just same all day long. Well, I tell you, my my older brother has been sober for seven years. And now, when someone says that, then I think that they had a drinking problem. Oh, no. He, Not he, a drinking enthusiasm. Yeah, he, he just wrong time, wrong place kind of drinking. But now he is a madman, nonstop. He's got 100 projects going on all the time and always getting shit done. But he doesn't think anything's funny, I bet. No, uh, yeah. I mean, it's different. Like you said, the social aspect is different. But that's something I noticed watching him not drink is his time management like is way different because – if you drink, you can kind of sit in the backyard and like bullshit and drink. But if you're not drinking, you're like, let's do something. Yeah, you want to go fix something. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, then, I can't relax. Yeah, exactly. I need to, if I'm going to relax, I need to 
have a beverage or something usually. Yeah, like that, that used to be my other thing too. Even at home with my wife, we'd have a couple of drinks and relax, but now neither of us can relax. Yeah. We just work. Which is a good thing. And we just work and not laugh at anything. <laughs> Make sure not to start laughing. Yeah. No fun. <laughs> um, anything else on that subject? Levi, you good? Oh, you know what we haven't discussed with you at all, though, Levi? Uh, you fixing to quit chewing? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I'm not really, like, dirt over there. He had to bring, like, two logs out in the woods. I only brought two cans, and one of them got washed out. The other one's still good. You so. lost one to a creek? Yeah. Oh, no, I think I rained on. Yeah. Oh, I bet washed that alder, out. That alder grabbed it, the one that grabbed your... I'm kind of a, uh, a dipping enthusiast, not a addict, I suppose. <laughs> do all do all chaw dogs run it along the bottom? Like, you'd never run it along the top lip. I've known some guys who do the top I do for top sure. lip. Yeah. I told you that that nurse told me, keep keep the cancer guessing. <laughs> oh you just move it. Move it around. Yeah. Do you ever run uh, a double horse? <laughs> a double horseshoe? Just really good glassing spots after a hike. You might run a double horseshoe. No. no. Have you run a horseshoe? Yeah. I mean, in college, we kind of do the how much you could get in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Are you that'll, kidding me? That'll make a man sick. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember yeah, being in the kitchen and like when on a slow night, you start thinking of ways to like just mess with people, and so it would be like, "Could you do a half cup of cayenne pepper on your testicles?" You know, and everybody everybody would start pitching in money. I think that's called homoeroticism. At, at, at a certain point, someone would say, "Okay, for sixty bucks, I'll try it." And then one of the other things would be like, okay, can you get a whole tin of chew yeah. into your mouth oh, and keep it in there God, man. for whatever it would be, a minute or five minutes, you know? Yep. And I don't think anybody could ever pass that no. test. No. A Same exact experience, yeah. yeah. You, you, you had it. You did it. You no, no, it. but I've been in those scenarios and that, that came up and the buddy who did it got sick. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, hard, it's hard for me to reconcile your, what you majored in no, Fo- photojournalism with the the activities that you engaged in in college i was i was different than most of the class me and one other guy kind of chummed around like you it's hard for you to picture photojournalism majors getting together to try to fill a two-liter bottle of chew spit <laughs> well those guys weren't in my program my roommates that we filled did our science project <laughs> our <laughs> installation <laughs> art yeah <laughs> no that yeah that wasn't with my classmates. I was just with buddies, Mile City buddies. Yeah, that I can picture. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, moving on. Do you, yeah, Yanni, do you feel like we should just come out and like right away just say rather than creating a a, a rather than creating um any kind of any kind of tension or suspense? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think it matters. Just. Why don't you say what I'm talking about? I think what you're talking about is to say that we just finished up a unsuccessful yeah, yeah, sheep yeah. hunt. Unsuccessful doll sheep hunt. No lesson to be learned. If you're looking at success as a dead sheep. Yeah, well, that's that's how I'm that's what I'm talking about. So yeah, well we could also look at it as successful as we made it in there. And, uh, you know, covered some serious terrain and came out uh, without any injuries and without any, you know, major problems. Yeah. made a TV show. Right. A beautiful TV show. Well, we don't know that yet. Oh, yeah. And found, found some sheep. <laughs> found some sheep. 
But if someone said, hey, was your, was your hunt successful? No, yeah. And then sure. you go like, well, define success. I just think <clears> you're kind of like playing around. You're being yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. annoying. Yeah. You're, being lo- you're being a little <laughs> bit annoying. You'd have to say no, but it was great. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what we, what we did, went doll sheep hunting in the Alaska range. And uh, the Alaska range is, check me if I'm wrong on this, Danny. It's like a southern Alaska mountain range. Or sort of like might divide the sub- southern, uh, you'd call that the, the western Alaska range. I think that's, you know, everything south of, the, all that sheep country that's south of Denali Park. People commonly refer to as the western Alaska. I mean, western Alaska yeah. range. But the Alaska range in general is a big, speaking of horseshoe dips, it's a horseshoe shape, yeah. kind of a shallow horseshoe that on its eastern edge kind of go feeds into the into the, co- into the coastal ranges. Yeah. Well, and if you consider Wrangles coastal, but yeah, it kind of blends into the Wrangles over on the, the far eastern side. And then on the, on the western side, they kind of tow off down toward the Alaska Peninsula. Yeah, they blend into, into the Aleutians down there, yeah. And the, the top of the, if you imagine the Alaska Range, is a very shallow U. The top of the U is the, the no, a very shallow inverted U. Yeah. The top of the U is the most northern portion. Yes, yeah. That, that's, that'd be like the Central Alaska Range. That's how Fish, Department of Fish and Game refers to that area. Central Alaska Range. Yeah. And it's not narrowing. It's not like giving away a spot to say we're in the Western Alaska Range because the whole thing is 500 miles long. Huge mountain range. Yeah. Um, we had hunted doll sheep before in other portions of the Alaska Range. I'd be so specific as to say the Central Alaska Range. <laughs> In this trip, we were going into an area to hunt. Um, let, me, let me lay another groundwork piece down. What Alaska has is they have, there, there's several species in Alaska you're not allowed to hunt without a guide if you're a non-resident. Basically, if it's white or has great big long claws, you cannot hunt it Um if you're a non-resident without a guide without a guide referring to mountain goats doll sheep and grizzlies and brown bears so but there's a there's a catch a resident a, a, a resident alaska hunter can hunt those things with family of second degree kindred so if you're a fella in alaska you can take non-resident relatives, cousins, uncles, I think even brother-in-law. It's pretty loose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can never remember where the line is drawn, but that's because I only ever hunt with my two full-blooded brothers, so it's kind of irrelevant, yeah. Yeah, but it, but it includes cousins, uncles. I believe it includes in-laws, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. Then, you could, then, then those people can hunt with that. There was a little movement a year ago or so to get rid of that. There's a group called the Resident Hunters of Alaska who got a real beef with non-resident hunters. And they had put together something for consideration which would have ended the rule. Is that what, I'm not, are you sure that's who that was coming from? I thought you told me that. Uh, that 
yeah, you got to check me on this. But that might have been coming maybe from the guide industry a bit too. I'm not. I'm not 100%. Oh, okay, so scratch that. That might not be true. I don't want to put. I don't, yeah, I don't want to put blame or praise, however you view it, in the wrong place. But there was. A, they there was were a, trying to. They were trying to roll it back a little bit and not. Uh, they wanted it to be. Okay, so so whoever it was, let's take this case. Danny's a, my brother. Danny's a resident of Alaska. He and I go sheep hunting together. We can both hunt sheep at the same time. What the what the rule change that was proposed would be that if we're hunting and I shoot a sheep, we both have to like notch the tag. Yeah, that was the yeah. Proposal. Meaning I get a I get a ram. It counts against your. My, harvest yeah my annual limit of one ram yep. yeah so we could go together and if i get one basically you got one yep but that uh that thing didn't go anywhere so i'm able to go hunt doll sheep in alaska as long as i'm within as long as i'm with you and they spell it out like you got to be together mm-hmm. like you're hunting together side by side um we've done this quite a few times over the years not quite a few times but four I think we've gone sheep hunting four times together. That sounds about right, yeah. And uh, this time, we went into an area we had really no prior experience in because of a friend who's an outfitter turned us on to a spot where he guides some clients and kind of cut us loose in there. So we're doing like a trip that would be, how would you put it in, in, in guide language, Johnny? All of our own gear, right? Yeah. All our own equipment and gear, but someone saying, go here. Like, yeah, we just called it a drop camp, basically, drop when camp. we did it. Yeah. And sometimes we would actually supply some stuff with drop camp. And I guess, you know, Buck, did, Buck supplied us a little bit, a, yeah, f- a few things. Tarp. Big tarp. tarp yeah. Big tarp and an axe. Yeah. Which was, hey, it was really nice to have that tarp preset up, you know. Yeah. Place it was to get nice out to of have the that rain. axe. Um. Yeah, I call it a drop camp for the most part. I mean, most guys, I think they're going to do a drop camp. If they get anything from the outfitter, it might be a basic shelter. But you're pretty much you're you're going to be bringing most of your own gear. And this area is like so. So you you you, you come into Anchorage, and, and then the way a lot of stuff works in the bush, and Danny can speak to this a lot better. But the way a lot of stuff works in the bush, especially like kind of mountain hunting and stuff, you're you're always using you. You're not always. You're typically flying in on super cubs, which can land on gravel bars, ridge tops. You can land them anywhere. But a super cub can only hold a pilot and one passenger. So oftentimes when you're flying into remote hunting locations in Alaska, you're getting st- you get staged up somewhere on some remote large airstrip and then use super cubs to do the last little leg of bringing you in. Like that, that's fairly common. Yeah, but it could done. be from a strip along the highway somewhere too, you know, the Hall yep. Road or one of the you know, other highways around the state. We've done that before too where we've driven to a place and had a plane meet us there and shuttle us in, you know. That's closer to the hunting spot than say Anchorage or Fairbanks or wherever the pilots coming from. Yeah, or it gets elaborate like there's a there's a, anywhere you're hunting, if you're hunting like the Western Brooks range, so basically up toward the, the, you know, the portions of Alaska that seem to be looking over into Siberia, um, 
there's an area there where you, you go to Fairbanks, drive up to a lake. No, a strip. You drive oh, up to a strip or on a the Alaska Pipeline yeah. Road. I'm just, I'm just talking about one air carrier that we've used to hunt caribou. You drive up to an actual strip. Isn't it a strip? Mm-hmm. So a landing place. Get on a plane there and go land at another strip in a bush community, in a, like an off-the-grid community, and there get on a float plane and take the float plane to go land up on lakes up in the caribou country in, in, in the North Slope. Tons of different configurations. Or we've also hunted sheep where you load your stuff from your truck into a super cub and, yeah, fly up in that too. But this particular area is a little bit of a haul and bigger, like a, greater distance than you're going to cover um, efficiently in, in Super Cubs. So we flew out to a remote military airstrip. Do we name that one? Not yet. No, should we? A remote military airstrip. Well, it's um, not military. I think it was built by the built military. Built by the military. Yeah, it's not, yeah, it's but not, like a, it's not dirt, maintained by yeah, the military. Yeah, gravel strip. There's a lot of those in Alaska. I, yeah, I they're think, scattered right? around. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And we fly in there. We're all six of us. So we got two hunters and four guys in our crew. And we, we, we fly out to this strip. And it's like a real hub of activity. <laughs> because it's a big enough airstrip that you can get big aircraft in there and bring in quad runners, side-by-sides, all manner of vehicles and then there's an elaborate road network that leads out from here and so it's like a place to fly in stuff set up a camp and then cruise around like on this whole isolated road network and trail network and cruise around and hunt this vast area of like like moose caribou country i got a quick question is that is that road system attached to anything if you were wanting to drive in or is it totally independent outside of that airstrip no i think the mountain i think the alaska range because it's on the <laughs> other side of the alaska range yeah. so i don't think the, right danny there's no yeah way. yeah you couldn't drive, you couldn't drive there. there i mean you could you could snow machine there in the winter yeah but there's not there's a, not a road there's not a road okay. no so people come in there in, in large aircraft sometimes and can fly and stuff. Like we just have, we just land out there. So you land in a strip. It's a gravel strip. There's a couple outbuildings. The Alaska Troopers. Here's another interesting thing people should know about Alaska. In Alaska, you don't have what's called a game warden. So you, you have all your game laws, fishery and game laws. They're all set by the state and the Department of, uh, what do they call it here? The, it's the Board of Fish and the Board of Game, respectively, make those laws the laws yeah. and then what's your like uh dnr here it's alaska fishing game alaska department of Fish. yeah game. we have a dnr too but they handle land and minerals and that sort of thing but alaska department of fishing game regulates hunting and fishing but all enforcement of fishing game laws comes down to state troopers yes yeah the why yeah there's a Oh, oh, I guess it'd be like the wildlife division of the state troopers. Yeah, does enforcement. Yeah, so you know up here you don't say you don't say I'm gonna report you to the game warden. Nope, call the troopers. Say, I'm calling the troopers. At this strip, there's a troopers shack too, like a little shack at this strip, and there's all manner of uh, oil drums, gas cans, quad runners, and just like the sort of general I don't want to <laughs> call it detritus, but. The, a lot of it is. The general, like in Alaska, if you can land a plane, there is going to be rusty 
barrels <laughs> yeah. laying around. And this has its fair share of rusty barrels. Yeah, because what goes in does not go back out usually. Yeah, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the pilot that picked us yeah. up. <laughs> His just dismay at something that we would be bringing back to town. Um, and you get there and you think like, oh man, like you could sit here days and nothing would happen. But it's just constant activity. Planes landing. People up to all manner of things. And just like, like we land there. Here comes a couple dudes on a quad runner. Uh, another plane comes in, and we help some guys unload a quad runner out of the plane, and they're taking off to go to their hunting camp, which is 30 miles away. One of them runs off in the bushes, and a while later comes back with another quad runner. <laughs> and they both take off, one on the brand-new quad runner, one on the old quad runner, and head off to their 30-mile-away hunting camp. And, um, yeah, it's, it's an it's a interesting spot. But we get there, and then we, then the, we got another guy who flies a Super Cub. And this guy that flies a Super Cub is going to shuttle us into our spot up in the mountains. And what's funny is you got to do, because of our crew, you got to do six trips. And each trip takes 40 minutes or so. So it's 20 minutes up into the mountains, unload some stuff, come back. And you're dealing with small weather windows. So when you're doing this, you got to make sure that the first guy that goes has his camping gear and everything he needs to survive for the night. And then that anyone left behind also has, so that the, that the, the forward people have all the stuff they need to survive and the left behind person has to have stuff to survive because at any given time, the weather window is going to close. And we'd already missed a day and a half because of bad weather. So sure enough, five of us get in and the weather window ends. And there five of us are up in the mountains, right? Huh? But some guy's still hanging out at the... Yeah, which is the first time it's ever happened to yeah. us. Mm-hmm. So to, have, to have the hop in, interrupted. Yeah. But other guys we fly with will bring in three Super Cubs. Yeah, that's true. They got like a little wolf pack of Super Cubs. And they just get it done. Like when there's a window, they're going. Right. This is much more just one dude hoofing back and forth flying 100 yards off the ground <laughs> three tops yeah yeah dude those flights are so cool though man so They're much the fun oh it's, it's really the best him, did you ask him why he did that why he flies so low yeah at first i thought it was because it was so foggy but then it was clear and he was flying just as low i, was, I think he likes to look for moose antlers well there's a bunch of reasons yeah Give them that me. that is one another one was that um when it is foggy and the ceiling's super low because he knows every single cut bank and down log and the way the river turns and cliffs and, and whatnot from flying low so much, he can fly low even when the ceiling's low and be comfortable in there. Where he's saying, yeah, it's a beautiful day. And if I fly, go up to a thousand feet right now and buzz along, I'm not gaining anything from that beautiful flight up there. Mm. I need to be down here continuing to become intimate with oh, yeah. what's down here. I need to know every single gravel bar where when if, possibly the shit hits the fan i can land i can make a move i'm looking for spots where i can drop people in the future you know he he's might, scouting he's scouting yeah constantly yeah bringing in information yeah and and hunts and, and he's a big shed hunter mm-hmm. and hunts moose sheds from his plane and he said that takes a special skill set because you need to fly along and know where all the sheds are and then eventually you got to find a place to land, and you got to be good enough that you can walk and pick. You can spend your time then walking and retrieving all the ones you found. And again, landscape. 
mm-hmm. knowing the landscape. Was he saying that he picked 1,300 or 13,000 pounds of moose antlers? What? I didn't catch that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't catch that either. 1,300 is impressive until you think how much moose antler weighs. He might have said he picked 13,000 pounds of moose antlers, but just, just no, last, no way. No last way. It must have been 1,300 pounds. Wow. Well, I think he said 30 aside, 30 pounds aside on the big ones. Um. That's a lot a of moose man. I bet it's 13,000. He flies a ton. I can't remember the hours he was saying he does, but. Yeah, but he's probably picking them up in the spring, oh, right? Because yeah. he's, he's not, not flying up as, when he's yeah, and, he, yeah. and when, he's, when he's flying hunters, he doesn't have time for that. Yeah, he was ripping us, you know. like Yeah, he was go, go, go. And then he finished shuttling us, and he had a bunch more guys yeah. shuttling, yeah. you know, in other places. So Mark Kenyon walking around picking up those deer landers, man. He'd shit his <laughs> pants <for you. laughs> about this style of shed hunting, man. Shed hunting out of an airplane. So he likes to do that. And he was saying that he also uh, hunts snowshoe hares. Yeah. Because yeah. hmm. when they turn white in the ground and the snow melts, he can go out and locate little pockets of white rabbits and then find a place to land his plane and go snowshoe hunting. That's pretty cool. He's a cool dude. I didn't realize. He, I asked him. He He's going 110 miles an hour when he's empty. That's with the tailwind. With it, yeah. I think 80 is what the yeah, plane can do. Yeah, I think he do. said 80 is top speed. This dude's Super Cub is stripped down so light. Like, he likes to keep it real light so he can land on super short strips. And carry more shit. We've and never can. put in so much stuff into a Super Cub like we did with John. He has the hand start. So he has to be like the old World War One flying aces who got to go out and yell contact and turn the prop <laughs> because he tore out his starter and the battery. So he starts his Super Cup by going out. He's got to get the throttle just right inside to start it. And in one fluid motion, it takes him like three or four turns, grabs the prop. You call it the prop, right? Yeah. Grabs the prop, turns it clockwise. Hand prop it. It kicks. And he's got to fly back around. We'll put up a video of him doing this in the show notes. He's got to fly back around and hit the throttle and pull himself up in the plane every time. I'm like, why in the world did you do that? And he says, I cut 70 pounds out of the plane. <laughs> he also got rid of the back seat and just put a little carbon fiber piece there, and he took a piece of, uh, p- took a piece of ridge rest and cut it out for a pad. Mm-hmm. So, like, that seat is ounces. The paint, a, a Super Cub has 40 pounds of paint on it. What? Yep, 40 pounds of paint. His paint, his, his plane is painted... The same color as most the uh, landscape is, yeah, the same color, like a slate gray. Same color as all the shale. And I told him, I said, man, when you eventually bury this, bur- uh, burrowed his plane into a mountainside, they're never going to find you. And he said, well, that's not my intent for that to happen. But he said, but kind of, because I don't like the people to know where I'm landing my plane. <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to keep it camouflaged. Yeah, if, if that means they don't find me, that means they don't find me. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, remember when we flew in on that that moose float on the in the yeah. North Side Alaska Range? Remember that second pilot that helped shuttle? He had that little tailwheel Cessna where he stripped the paint off of it. You remember this? No, but I remember flying in a helio courier, I thought. No, no, that was sheep hunting. Oh. That was sheep hunting. But this is on that moose float trip. Um we did with a raft. How come we never done that float anymore? You know, I, a friend of mine did it last year, and he went up in that same hanging valley. Did he kill bulls in there? Yeah, he shot a bull. He said they were running all over in there. Yeah, we killed three bulls, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that w- one of our pilots had just stripped. He had a little Cessna, maybe a 185, and he had, no, 180. Anyway, I don't know planes very well, but he, um, 
had stripped the paint off of his plane, and it, and, it, and he at forty pounds, it's, he he made it forty pounds lighter, and he had forty pounds more payload. Yeah, and it was just a, it looked like a, you know, it's a bare aluminum, just like tin foil plane, you know. It's nice. Wasn't yeah. he saying? Oh, I was ahead. just gonna say, if you want to look this guy up and fly with him, which I highly, no, I don't do that. Highly no, no, I don't think that's smart. Really? No. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money. And provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like Black Buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. 
Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. No, I'll tell you later why. Okay. He, he mentioned something about paint that slides better, right? Wasn't he? On the floor. No, you're thinking of Danny's. Danny's you're oh, thinking Danny's of the, 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 new, Danny's boat. the new paint oh. Danny put on his boat bottom. <laughs> What's that paint called you put on your boat bottom? I think there's a few different kinds, but I the one the one I that uh, I Brand turned me on to it. It's called Gator Glide. It's just just really slick. But you know how grippy that aluminum is, man, on the rocks. And yeah, stuff. yeah, it's so grippy. So it's like a truck bed liner that's slick, slick for the bottom of your boat. Slick is so like you can Teflon. Get it off the rocks. It's like a, it's like Teflon coating the bottom of your boat. Yeah, and they're like the one of the you know the rivers we run are super shallow. When you run up on a sandbar or gravel bar or whatever like i can just go out there with one finger now and pull my boat off makes that much of a difference oh, it's huge yeah gator glide yeah a lot of that technology comes out of the southeast i bet you oh like, yeah my whole boat's a my whole boat's like a louisiana setup you know but they work well flat bottom air-cooled engine yeah you could run it across wet grass yeah is, is it, it a this, jet this boat out here i'm gonna check yeah it out. yeah no it's not jets it's a mud motor you know like I, I think inspired by the Southeast Asia, you know, yeah. air-cooled long shaft. And then uh, that, mine's a particular one's a Go Devil. And the, the, that company was started by, I, I think, I, I'm pretty sure it's a Vietnam War vet that came back from Southeast Asia and thought, oh, man, that's a slick we setup. We yeah. can use this in Louisiana and started making them. That's pretty cool. There's yeah, a million a, places that make them now. Yeah, it's but. like got like a Briggs & Stratton engine, like a five-foot prop. Like a five foot shaft, five foot shaft. Yeah, it's just a, it's just an air cooled like a riding lawnmower engine. You know, my mine's a twenty four horse, and it's got a it's just a a U joint and a drive shaft, and there's no there's no clutch, there's no gears. It's just when they start the motor, the prop is spinning, and you lower that prop into the water, and it goes, and that's that's, that's all there is to it. <laughs> yeah, because cool, people man. don't dick around motors. What like generally an outboard is water cooled, so you got to have enough water where the lower unit's down, and there's an intake thing in there, and it's taking water up, cycles it through the system, and pisses it back out. So it takes some water to run it. Um, the other thing is these things, you rocks and stuff don't hurt them. It, they're, they're starting to take a toll. Well, I've been running that thing for. Geez, 15 years in rivers, you know, and, and my my skeg's getting pretty beat up, and it start, the skeg's actually starting to unweld from the drive. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to take it apart and get somebody to reweld it, you know. But no, it's taking a lot of abuse. I remember going duck hunting with you in the dark out here one time and going through a hole and feeling the boat as that thing hit salmon. <laughs> yeah, that's an awful feeling. Hit like a pot of salmon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hate that. It's only happened a couple times. That only, that's going to happen no matter what motor you're on. Yeah. Depending on what's going on. Where were we? The pilot. I messed up the paint thing, but we were breaking down. The no, I'm glad cab. you brought it up because dudes will want to know about that, right? Mm-hmm. Gator glide. Put it on the bottom of your boat. Um, He was trimmed down, though, our pilot. Trimmed down. Dude, he could take, like, the one time he took off to go pick up another dude, he just, like, what looked like 30 feet, and he was airborne. Oh, it was amazing. almost like a helicopter, man. It was crazy. His rig is just super cool. Man, those things got a way of crashing. Yeah. <laughs> What's even crazier is that when we got there, I looked at him like, man, I know that son oh, of a yeah. gun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't know. He, he and I worked together for maybe three months. In Colorado, right? Yeah. Yeah, in Edwards, Colorado. Ptarmigan Sports. Mm-hmm. He was a mountain guide. 
I'm, I don't know for sure if he was a mountain guide. I'm guessing he's done some guiding, but he was just a professional climber. Yeah. Um, so we get to the spot, and basically, like, the, the, the spot we start out where we land, on, we're just landing on a gravel bar in a river, and we're about to get a sense of this. We land at probably, not probably, then we landed at 3,500 feet above sea level. The surrounding peaks are seven or so. The very, very highest. Yeah. yeah, and we're about five, well, six to seven river miles to what would be the head of this stream we land on. The stream we land on has a big, wide gravel bar. What do you call that, Dan? Big, wide gravel bar. <laughs> no, like the whole bed. How do you describe that bed? Oh, I'd like a braided riverbed. Braided riverbed? Yeah. It's a couple hundred yards wide. Yeah. Um. And usually the, 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 it's braided. I mean, like usually the channel is occurring in multiple places. So it's got this big, like, this big, broad, gravelly thing, and everything's very shallow and just kind of meanders across and changes constantly. Like, the channel gets rewritten every year from yeah, the floods. Yeah, and in most places, the, the, you know, any, most, most spots along that river, the channel's in, you know, two or three places at once. You know, it's never in a, it's rarely is it in a single channel. Yeah. And to get a sense for, like, You'd cross it when you got across. It's about hip deep and hauling ass, knee deep and hauling ass. Yeah, when you got across the main channel, it fluctuates a lot though. That surprised me. Oh yeah, it's I like mean, someone. Rain. It's like God dicking with the water valve. <laughs> yeah, in a shower. Yeah, because like oh, Every it's day. hot today. The glaciers are melting fast. Flow. Tons of water. It rains somewhere, but not here. Tons of water. Yeah, and the silt load goes up and down. Where it looks like chocolate milk, then it's clear. Then Just in a day. Chocolate milk, clear. Chocolate milk, clear. Up, down, up, down. Changes constantly. Um, and we're like seven miles from the head of this thing. And this thing's headed by... This probably has like three heads, right? You go well, kind of like two, two main, main, two, ones. Two yeah. main channels that feed into it. And we're, we get dropped off about seven miles from the head of these, from the head of these two things. And the first day, here's another rule in Alaska that gets thrown out a lot. You can't hunt, with some exceptions, there are exceptions to this. Most of the exceptions are around deer in southeast Alaska and some caribou units. You can't hunt on the same day you fly in Alaska. Preventing you from... On a a non-scheduled flight. If you fly in a jet into somewhere you know that's a or even a smaller plane if it's a scheduled flight you know into wherever uh that doesn't count yeah but but a a charter or your own plane or whatever the same day you've been airborne you cannot hunt yeah and that speaks to um what they're trying to prevent one from being able to do is i did find an animal from the air and land a plane and go shoot it instead you gotta find it from the air land a plane wait until what 3 3 a.m wait until 3 a.m., and then you can go. And the reason, like, a lot of states have legal shooting hours, um, legal hunting hours, but, you know, because of the peculiarities of, at this latitude, the peculiarities of day length, Alaska doesn't do legal shooting hours with sunset, sunrise, except for waterfowl. I yeah, think, that's, right? I think, I, I assume that's federally mandated. Yep. Yeah. So when you land, 
you got to wait like because even if you're hunting you could be hunting the very early season when it's 24 hours of daylight so it's not like you got to wait till it gets dark and lighting or whatever it's like 3 a.m yeah 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 that which darkest point of the night, darkest point yeah. of the night. even yeah. though it could just be dusky all night yeah like you can still see like when you wake up even just now when you wake up in the middle of the night to go take a leak you could check around for bears yeah it's not that dark matt matt and i have watched sheep all night long we've cut tabs on sheep throughout the night and it never you know you leave a spot and scope on them and it never got so dark that you couldn't tell that they were there yeah remember that time caribou hunting matt went wandering way off and shot a bull way off somewhere oh he's gone late butchers it he says it starts to get kind of dark he sits down for a while it gets light <laughs> he says well i guess i just stayed out all night <laughs> and then he comes wandering into camp 3 30 in the morning he's yeah. like i think i just was out overnight we kept a ripper. We kept a big old fire going for him too. Thinking he's lost oh. out. The, thinking he's lost out in the tundra. I was so worried about him. Um, that was pre like having GPS units and whatnot. Yeah, and in reaches and uh, no, I mean he might have had GPS, but that was before. No, that satellite. His, I remember. No, his navigation thing was this. Oh, that's right. We were camped at the confluence. Yes. So he knew he was going up. With water flowing back toward camp on the right side, water flowing back toward camp on the left side, and they eventually met at a V, and he was canceled that V. So he said that he knew he could wander around anywhere, and yeah. as long as he followed water, yeah, he would. No, that's good. Yeah, as long as he didn't cross the river and followed water, he knew that he would come back and land back in camp. That's safe. I remember that same trip. Remember that grizzly come up the other bank and starts wading across the river. Oh, yeah. And Matt went out in his waders and tried to scare it back up on the, <laughs> <laughs> scare it back up on the air bank. What happened? Bear took off. Um, that was my good optics epiphany that I've talked about many times, where we had a dude who'd just come off a of guiding. Our buddy Chuck had just come off a of guiding for moose on the peninsula or something, or had the year before and had been given some good spotting scopes and binoculars. Yeah. And I'd always had shitty ones. And we were watching a grizzly coming up, and I'm looking through his spot and scope, and you can see the wind hit its side and make this little cowlick that kind of drifted around on his body in the breeze. And I'm like, I'm getting some of these sons of bitches, man. <laughs> uh, and we land, so we land this river, like what, uh, I think about six miles to the head of this thing. Then, oh, I was getting at how you can't hunt the same day you fly. So because Levi was the sixth guy in, he couldn't a careful reading of the rule would be that he can't even hunt with us can't assist yeah and that but by hanging you, out he's by assist, hanging out yeah. if he's like hey what's that white thing no oh, yeah yeah so he's ineligible to hunt the, the first day we get in so we do like a little short jaunt short and, being relevant i feel like <laughs> it was a jaunt we decided to hit a tributary the first tributary upstream from our camp we decided to explore out the tributary and so we walked it from 35, the mouth of that tributary is 3,500 feet. And we start up this tributary in the rain and climb maybe 1,000 feet, and then you can't see anything. Where your visibility is 100 yards. Um, now and then you get little pockets where you can see. And I think we sat there, we set up a tarp in the rain. There's no sense of plowing through a place you haven't seen yet. When you're in the right kind of country, you can't just plow through in the fog because you're not doing yourself any good. And we sat there for four hours, I think. Took a nap. Shivered. Sat there under a tarp for four hours. Drank some tea. Eventually it started to get a little bit clear. 
and we climbed up to a saddle that was at 5,100 feet. Waited a while, got a couple open windows in the fog to look down the next valley. I feel like we should plug the tea. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, everybody oh. should try that. I mean, Sambar tea. Yeah. Dude, I love that freaking tea, man. Remy turned me on to that tea. Yeah. Yeah, yep. he had it on a fog neck, right? There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a tea company. Talk about giving away the goods for free, man. It's a tea company called Kobuck. Not even for free because they okay. charge a lot of money for that damn tea. Kobuck something? Tea company? Yeah. You're giving away the plug for free to them, but I feel like, I, well, no, I feel like you're sharing valuable I'm sharing valuable information, but I'm, only, I'm doing it with the, only, the one hesitation that it just doesn't make sense how much they charge for the decaf version. Mm. Oh, Sandvar stuff you guys were drinking was caffeinated? No. Caffeinated is normal price. Decaf is twice as much, but I like to drink it at night yeah. as my hot drink. What's the process that makes it? I don't why? Know. They wash it with chemicals. Hmm. is a danger to your uvula. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't eat it. Danny got a swollen <laughs> uvula, maybe, from eating the tea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sandbar tea from Cobalt Tea Company is the best shit in the world, man. It's good, man. Um, and it's like, I don't even know. It's like, it's got all kinds of stuff in it, man. It's got cloves in it. Mm-hmm. Cinnamon, for sure. Cinnamon in it. Oh my god, it's so good. But you had a spicy thing when you bit into it that one time. You had like a peppercorn or something. Well, weird, someone right? from the Thai restaurant must have been over there and <laughs> flicked one of them little freaking peppers in there just to screw with somebody. It 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 was it it had a cinnamon flavor to it, but it was way hotter than eating like a piece of cinnamon. So weird. I don't know, I don't know what that was. Yeah, I was I was sitting next to you, Danny. You practically broke a sweat. Oh, <laughs> dude, and I can handle some hot food, but that was insane i'd like to know what's in that shit man mm-hmm. but you buy it at the anchorage airport and up top they got the caffeinated and down low they got a little air with the decaf they charge too much for the decaf to the I, point where to the point where after i got turned on to it i went online and got on their website to buy some and was so insulted by the price that i didn't because i'm like what am i like growing up when i was growing up someone said to me someday you will buy really expensive tea online. I've been like bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Bull. Well, I'm sitting there drinking a bottle of Boone's Farm in the shower, <laughs> coming back from coming back from welding uh, welding raw iron droppers to hang like conveyor lines on. Um, if you'd have told me someday, Sonny, you'll be buying little several three ounce bags of tea for thirteen bucks online, I'd have punched you in the face. <laughs> So I'll buy it in the airport because if someone said like someday you'll buy a bag of tea in the airport, I'd be like, uh, sure, I don't know, so that's, okay. I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have been like uh, nervous about that. Yeah, revelation. So I can't bring myself to buy it online. Um, but yeah, that shit's good. Hits the spot on a rainy that, day too. Oh, man. Is that good, Yanni? Yeah, yeah. Up on this saddle, we're trying to weigh out. Um, whether to sleep there or head back down. Sleep there thinking in the morning you might get a better view. Wasn't it like 9 o'clock or 10? I mean, it was late. Yeah, it doesn't get dark till 10.30. It doesn't get dusky till 10.30 at night. And then I can't tell what the hell time it gets light in the morning. Yeah. 6, I guess it gets light at 6. I felt like you had to use a headlamp from about 10.30 until yeah. 5. While mm-hmm. we Depending on what you're doing. Yeah, if you needed to. Yeah, if you're just walking down bed. the gravel bar, you didn't need it. But like. Fidget around mind. camp and looking in your backpack. Yeah, yeah. Um, no sign of sheep up there. 
Okay. No, nope, not that day. Couldn't really see that well, though, right? But also a sign. Yeah, on those, oh, those yeah. ridge, often on those ridge, we saw them in a few places, but on those ridge lines, was, you'll see little beds where they kick out a mm-hmm. little bowl, you know, and didn't see any beds, didn't see any fresh tracks. Decided not to sleep up there. Um, Drop back down and then walk from that, that saddle, which says it was 5,100 5, feet, back down to our little base camp. And then Levi had come in that day, so he was eligible to be out with us the next morning. The next morning, we headed up to go explore the headwaters of this river that we're on. Dirt Myth River. Dirt Myth Creek. Dirt Myth Creek. <laughs> it's unnamed. The, the, no joke, I'm not, being like, I'm not being coy. The river has no name. The, the, it, it's amazing that there, that there are rivers in Alaska like, any river that size in lower 48 would have a road on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There is no river that size in lower 48 that doesn't have a road. I shouldn't mm-hmm. say no, but very few rivers that size in lower 48 would not, be ro- would not have a road in the bottom of them. Dude, even, like, little trickles have got names down in the 48, you know? Here, you, there's rivers in Alaska big enough to take a boat down with no name. Yeah, and those... A, a lot of the, the, the smaller rivers that do have a name, they're all, like, mine-related, you know, like... Mother Lode Creek or or uh Goldfinger <laughs> Lucky Strike Creek or <laughs> Bankrupt Creek. Yeah, hard luck <laughs> creek. So uh um Dirt yeah, we go up Dirt Myth Creek and we decided to explore first the right branch. And that day that that's the day oh you know we saw ewes and lambs that day. So oh. think about yeah, by camp. So think about doll sheep is and maybe maybe Danny knows what the answer to this is. Lambs and ewes get the good spots. They get the rich feed. You know. Yeah, I, I mean, they I, get the I, cush location. Yeah, I don't think they're excluding the rams. I, 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 you know, I assume it's that those is that that the that the lambs, you know, growing so rapidly at that point in their life need that you know highly digestible, high protein really green diet that's that that doesn't require a lot of effort to get you know it's thick it's lush and and you know the 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 rams can afford to be you know up higher where there's just not as much food because they're not actively growing so fast so they're taking the security i'm just intuiting that well i heard a guy one time say this and i don't like because it, it makes the rams sound altruistic but you know, <laughs> first off let's say this so so we're hunting for doll sheep ovis dolly I think that's how you say it. Like Salvador Dali, the painter, but it's Ovis. <laughs> and Dahl was a naturalist and explorer. Got the sheep named after himself. Um, interestingly, Dahl named the Alaska Range. The, well, he named the Alaskan Range, and it became the Alaska Range. But the dude whose name was given to the Dahl sheep is the guy that named the Alaska Range. And a Dahl sheep is a pure white, mountain sheep big curly horns like a big horn um you know they rut late october early november yeah late yeah hang out up around the glade like they're like in the imagination they're associated with the rockiest nastiest highest most glaciated stuff like they they're the highest mammal on the mountain the highest hooved Right. Well, you see caribou up in there sometimes too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like yeah. for year-round living, though. Yeah, yeah. They eke out an existence up there, and they don't migrate down to the low country when the snow flies. 
they got to be on the windswept. They stay up in the windswept. Yep. They, they don't find, they don't wind up living down in some dude's alfalfa field or like down in the valley bottoms. They stay up and they're just, they live up. Yeah, yeah. But there's some interesting exceptions too, though. I mean, they're always on, you know, they, they need to have escape cover nearby. They're always in rocky, you know, craggy terrain. But like, you know, you drive down Turnigan Arm south to Anchorage and, you know, you're at sea level and you can look up a few hundred yards. Sometimes on the highway, there are doll sheep there, you know. And so in that, in that circumstance, you're not high up. But you do got I the got rockiness you. and the cragginess that they. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Cover. So they don't care about the number. The, they don't necessarily care about the elevation number. It's just like what those two usually go hand in hand. Yeah, though. like where yeah. that where their preferred habitat happens to exist. Yeah, in those areas. Um, but we see a bunch of used lambs, and used lambs are kind of predictable because, like, if you see like a whole, you know, you see like a dozen animals laying in kind of a meadow meadowy bowl up on a mountainside you just know like you're like that's lambs and use yeah if it's real green and lush like oh there's some lambs and use so you don't that, have to scope out yeah, yeah like that gives it away and also the whole the, the number of them because you can find big groups of rams but like when you see like a dozen of something laying in a really green patch like that's lambs and use um but as we and we saw some lambs used in the morning but as we press up we see a single sheep way ahead of us and i'm thinking ram only because he's by himself. He's laying in a U spot, but there's only one of them. And eventually we get up there and find that it's a way not legal ram. A legal ram in Alaska. Is this universal? Or, or are there still any ram units? There, yeah, there's at least, yeah, part, a big chunk of the Chugach a few years back went to, from, from, you know, basically over the counter to a lottery, and and in that unit they went to for that lottery tag. Now they went to any ram. Tell us why, because that was yeah, that's interesting stuff. But there's this hypothesis, I guess it probably is, or maybe there's some, don't say this I, yet till we say what a legal okay, ram is. Okay, lay out what a legal ram is, and then talk about the hypothesis. So yeah, so legal ram is uh, is a well, it's a. a, a full curl ram and so that's a, a ram whose horn has grown 360 degrees from the base to the tip um or is eight years of age so you would see eight growth annuli that are formed each winter of the ram's life um or if the both horns are broken off um I mean, substantially broken, such that the whole the whole lamb tip, the first year of growth, is absent from the horn. Yeah, and they grind, they scrape them off and break them off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a mark of an old ram, and you know, so you know, a, a ram with two broken horns is certainly is well, it's very unlikely to be full curl, but it's certainly going to be old. So they've kind of um, that. That's another way you can, and those are those are still pretty rare, though. Yeah, double broomers. I haven't laid eyes on a double broom doll. No, sheep. I haven't either. And then, like, bighorns, virtually all of them are double broom when they get to a certain size. So those are the three ways to make a legal ram. The, mo the, the most reliable way is, is a full curl. You look at the side, the horn should form a 360-degree circle. Yeah, from the, from the right angle. So when, the, when, when you're at the right angle, you, you, that, that horn should be perfectly round. If you're too high or too low, it should be more of an oval oblong shape is your sort of perspective on the horn changes so when you're looking at exactly you know think of it as a helix and when you're looking straight down that helix the the the, the perimeter of the horn should be perfectly round 
and the tip should come swing all the way around and meet the base or exceed the base, and that would be the mark of a full curl ram. There was cool tips that you pointed out as far as the angle and stuff of it coming out of the skull because from when they're looking dead on at you. Yeah, or no, no. When we when our perspective was elliptical and it looked like a full curl, me being looking from down below, yeah, below, looking from down below, they look for the, uh, a not full curl lamp ram looks full curl when you're yeah. looking from down below. But you pointed out the angle at which the the curl starts can be somewhat uh, a clue at it oh, being an older mature that they ram. look on a younger ram. It's not as like. It looks more swept back up top. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think that probably has something to do with the mass, but it looks like it like sweeps back in a more abrupt fashion. I think it just, just hasn't got as like heavy up top yet or something. You know, it hasn't achieved oh. like its biggest diameter. Yeah, because that's where it's growing from. Yeah. yeah. So they seem yeah. to have like, it's like, like he's been running real fast <laughs> and it kind of mashes horn. The, the angle of the tip is telling too, because yeah. if, and you know on the younger ram it's pointing more forward, and as that curls more, it's you know eventually it's pointing you know more backwards, yep, or out depending on the sort of configuration of the horn. So talk about the talk about this area where they went any ram, like talk about yeah, the so thinking that might guide that. So I know I, you I don't can't know, speak yeah, I don't know all the you know the details on it, but there's um, you know there's. There's this notion, and it applies to you know fish and wildlife and any managed species that if you are non-randomly harvesting animals, that you can potentially you know you have the potential to drive sort of artificial selection you know against or for some natural feature, right? And so and this, some people think this is a laughable idea. Is it really? I, you know, there's, there's certainly some, they think it would take thousands of years. Well, I, okay, I know the fish literature a lot better, but you know, uh, like size at maturity in fish, uh, you know, a few a few generations in the lab of of artificially selecting the the smallest breeders, you can drive size at maturity down in just a few generations. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. All right. I was saying, not me. I don't know enough about it to have a good opinion. I, but I'm saying some people. You no, know, like, I. I'm, I'm they're hate- talking about like, do you are by by just picking big bucks? They're talking about whitetails. Are you driving down? Whitetail size. If, but we're to, not talking about to, whitetails to the extent, right now. To the extent that it's genetic and not environment, yeah, the potential's there. Yeah, but no, I think I don't think anyone I don't think anyone argues the potential. But I think yeah. people say to affect you, would, it would take thousands of years to affect you that know, change. I, I think people are starting to realize in a lot of ways evolution happens a lot faster than I mean this is an instance of evolution and yeah, I think for sure. I think that in you know in recent years people are starting to realize that evolution happens a lot faster than potentially than what you know the, the former sort of gradualism notion of evolution is you know I know that's what pe- I crack up when people like are like I don't believe in evolution I'm like so you don't believe <laughs> that if I went and killed every adult that was over five feet that you would see yeah a movement toward shorter adults over or, time? Or you don't believe that corn used to be real small, now it's big? Or how about uh, how about <laughs> how about pesticide resistant uh, oh, yeah. insects and don't believe crop evolu- pests? Don't I mean, that, believe evolution. <laughs> Come yeah, on. yeah. So anyway, there's this notion that by you know having a full curl regulation in effect, that you're selectively cropping off the rams with the greatest horn growth potential 
or those that have a horn configuration that tends to grow in a full curl. Um, you know, there are plenty of mature rams running around that just, that, and, and their horn grows in such a way that it doesn't curl into a curl. And, and I think the first three doll rams, I don't know of the first, of like the first gang of doll rams that you, me, and Matt killed were all eight. None were full curl. No, I, that, Matt had a full curl. Oh, did oh, okay. Matt had one full curl horn that broke when it fell. Um, my very first ram had one full curl horn, but you, yeah, you and I, when we sh- shot two rams together, they were both eight or older, and neither of them were, were full curl. And that's and just, weirdly, the guy that checked mine in wrote it down as full curl. Oh, interesting. Obviously not full curl, but obviously eight years yeah, old. Yeah, there's, there's some interesting judgment calls we made there, too, because I've seen people down at Department Fishing Game haggling over age and full curl or not, and you know when you get those horns checked, and they're they're having a very hard time coming to consensus on well, it was some of those attributes. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah, you. yeah. So anyway, there's this notion that yeah, if you are if you're you know if you're cropping off all the horns that are that grow into a full curl, that you're sort of driving the genetic genetics away from that type of horn configuration. And so, um, my understanding is that that the whole Chugach any ram uh, setup was and, and sort of an experiment to see, you know, what effect that's having. And so, can you, can you excuse me a second. Dirt, you doing okay over there? It's like you're generating so much noise over there. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> you all right? Oh, I'm great. Do we need to unplug you? Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so when they, yeah. So when they, when they went to that lottery, when they went to that lottery system, they just said, okay, let's just have a lottery and because it, let, let, let's, let's try in any Ram scenario to alleviate that selective pressure um, against a full curl or a horn configuration. Yeah. But then the harvest rate's going to go way up, so we're going to need to limit the amount of participation, and so they ins- put a lottery on. To oh, cap the I got you. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I haven't been following that. I don't know what the, you know, there's just certainly people at Alaska Department of Fishing Game that can uh, talk very intelligently about that. Here, here's, a, here's a case example from the Frank Church area in idaho with bighorns and again like a regulation change will happen and oftentimes they don't like a state department will change a regulation and they don't say here's why we're changing the regulation just the regulation changes and people are left to speculate about why it was the regulation that's that's poor outreach there i know but it happens in like the case example the guy a guy we often get questions about this why is it illegal for a non-resident to hunt in a wilderness area in wyoming for big game without a guide okay Mm -hmm. so if you're a non-resident wyoming you want to hunt a wilderness area, you have to hire a guide i recently was asking some people that work at the state like state employees for like hey how did this rule come to be and what are sort of the decisions that were made and they were demonstrating to me that or the stuff i looked at and also what everybody says is it's like for it's a serve it's the guiding industry. It has to be driven by the guiding industry, right? That, I, could, I could see jumping to that conclusion, yeah. Yeah, but there's no articulation of it anywhere. It has to do, they talk about safety. Same here. Is that right? Yeah. That's, it, that's the, I think that's the, sort of the stated rationale for the guide requirement for grizzlies, mountain goat, mountain sheep. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it has to be to protect the industry, which is fine. But here's the thing with the Frank Church is – they felt that they, they had a three-quarter, it was a bighorn unit, and it had to be a three-quarter curl. 
So on a big horn, the way to tell three-quarter curl is you got to take from the, uh, the base of the horn and draw a line through the corner of the eye. And if that line hits horn, that's a three-quarter curl ramp. They felt in this very, very rugged, very, very remote area that there were too many cases of people in the backcountry making a bad call in killing rams that weren't legal and then not reporting it. This is what I heard. And so they just went to an any ram thing to try to cut back on unreported mortality of rams hmm. because it was areas just too hard to police, too hard to monitor. Yeah. So they presumably had to restrict the number of permits well, at sure. that point too. Yeah. yeah. But it was, th th that's what I heard like a problem was. And I heard that from a guy who guided the area. That was his, that was his understanding of what was going on. They felt it was putting people in too much of a bind. So we walk up this thing and find this ramp. Everybody good on that? Obviously not a legal ramp. Um, did that morning we run it? Yeah. Spent the night. Oh, we ran into a grizzly, yeah. a blonde, blonde, blonde grizzly, blonde, long hair. Gorgeous. With so long and shaggy, she looked almost, what did I say? Like, I thought it looked like something dead when it was sleeping. Yeah. I thought it looked like an old rotten because it was all haggly. Like, but it was yeah. yak-like. Yeah. Yak-like. Yeah. Or like a muskox. Yeah. So it was like, in a blow in the wind. Yeah. Looked like a, I think our initial guess was it was, a, it was a dead caribou laying there on the side of the hill. When Yanni told me he sees something, but it was funny because he's like, I see something. It was like two little black things bobbing around by it. And I look through my binoculars, and I think I'm looking at something dead and mostly decayed just because the way that it was so disheveled. And he says, yeah, but there's two black things moving around on it. And in my head, I'm like, well, it's got to be there's ravens feeding on some long dead caribou carcass. And it's kind of like it looks like a bunch of hair scattered around. When in fact, it's a blonde sow with two little very dark, black. almost black cubs, which I hadn't seen. Yeah. That color difference. Yeah, it was striking. That's the thing people say in judging grizzlies, like in interior ones, is uh, oftentimes the bigger males are, are darker brown. And the female, like, it's not true in all cases. It's like, a, it's like with, with grizzlies, everything's like tens to, right? Tens to this, tens to that. That oftentimes you find that the big males are darker brown, and oftentimes you find those real blonde ones are females when they get to maturity. But she was blonde. Beautiful. And just chowing the blueberries. <laughs> yeah, just. party mode. They eat them like they're pissed at them. Yeah. <laughs> they eat them like, like they're going to get away. Like they're exacting <laughs> revenge on blueberries, man. And watch her for quite a while feeding around. Cubs were sleeping. Cubs kept taking naps. And they just take naps wherever they see fit, man. And then she took a nap. Short power naps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they take power naps. Just wherever, man. But I think they were napping too because it was like a little break in the weather. Yeah, it was yeah, kind of sunny nice. when we saw them. And they would just like curl up. They'd kind of snuggle. They'd like spoon. And that sow, would, she would take a little nap now and then. Just lay down. Wherever she happened to be. Just lay down mid-stride. And kind of doze. Me and Chris were saying it was cool observing that scene because that was the first grizz we'd seen since the Fognac. 
just kind of a nice, mm-hmm. peaceful. It's like cleansing, man. Yeah. Like, oh, I can appreciate so like, grizzlies again and not be terrified. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. It's like when I get all mad at my kids and I'm yelling at them all the time, and I'll feel bad later and I'll go give them a big snug. Yeah. 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 We got snugged by that. Yeah. <laughs> it was a cute scene, man. Those yeah. hubs napping and that sow just kind of cruising around. No. Yeah. It's hard to picture that they just have such a ferocity. Yeah. 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 Except for you can picture, dude, if you walked up, if she's sleeping oh, and those God. cubs are sleeping 50 yards away and you watched up, you walked up and grabbed one of those things, you can imagine her response, man. Well, dude, if we were on that her. side of the drainage, the wind, the wind was blowing in such a way that we could have popped up on them mm-hmm. unexpectedly. I feel like that'd have been a good move, man. And this area is just pockmarked with where they're digging up ground squirrels. Yes. Holy shit! Will they put a lot of energy into oh that? Oh my god, dude! Some of the ground that they dug up was insane. The size little, of the rocks that they'll just like they'll dig holes big enough for you to climb into. Yeah. The most surprising thing was the altitude that they were digging those things up at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you're at like six thousand feet, and they're still throwing boulders and around it's just for rock. those little snacks. Like, yeah. they're up there for, like, it's like, they got to be up there for no, really no other reason. Yeah. Crazy. Up there to dig up marmots and dig up ground squirrels and oh. dig holes, like, like I said, like foxholes. You could climb down into them. Can you imagine being that ground squirrel? And just the horror. Like, oh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I got nothing here. I got nothing. <laughs> Dude, if you could imagine if, uh, like, a PETA person, oh, right, yeah. could witness that spectacle that they'd be oh. so anti-grizzly yeah mm-hmm. because the horror of that little ground squirrel family <laughs> oh yeah tucked away all like nice in and the cozy. deepest corner and they know that that thing's just out there like throwing out head-sized <laughs> boulders and then eats them all alive yeah. yeah that little squirrel family is just living out a children's story a children's mm-hmm. fairy tale laying on little bliss. beds of grass clipping and the next thing you know it's just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the roof of the house comes off and the monster yeah. swallows them all <laughs> and we've watched them eat them they eat them alive mm-hmm. they just grab them and throw their head back yeah i was suspecting and then that thing's alive down the belly being like no 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 <laughs> the um, acid of the digestive juices that's what gets you yeah it's like jonah and the whale man mm-hmm. you, you know what jonah and the whale is there oh yeah Yep. Okay, I don't know if you had Bible learning. No, yeah, I was raised Catholic. Good for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. She was eating berries, though. We slept for the night, tented out. And the next day, I look up above camp, and lo and behold, a bunch of rams. But no freaking legal rams. Was man. it four or three? That, that was first two, morning. three, four, five, and six. Number one being the the one youngster, yeah. the one youngster that was living on the U lamb patch. Yeah, that he really liked. And then five separate. Two, three, four. No, there were there were four, and they later picked up a fifth. Yeah, two, three, two, three, four, and five. Rams number two, three, four, five came rolling up above camp and we gave those good scrutinizing and uh they were kind of like really spread out in the age thing you know Mm -hmm. a few years old up to probably like seven enough where this ram looking from down below seems legal but he's just like not you could and i always like to give everything the benefit of the doubt like one time we talked about this part one time me and yanni were hunting mule deer and here comes mule deer that just gotten hit by a car so his antler is one of his antlers is busted off, but flopping down by his face. And 
when I first saw that, first thing out of my mouth was the buck of a lifetime. <laughs> because I give everything the benefit of the doubt. And I saw those tines, and I thought, this must be a gigantic buck. Just then the- I realized, no, he's just a forky with uh I just saw, I saw he even had tines by his jaw, you know? <laughs> then I was like, oh, never mind. It's just a little buck to get hit by a car. Do, do doll sheep ever grow in a non-typical way? Or is it like you'd see something totally crazy, like, just like genetically. A, um, like a straight horn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or just some weird like, Ibex or something. I've, I've never seen anything besides the fact that they snap them off and abrade them off. Yeah. They like are now, there's pretty some, there's doggone. There's some, there's yeah. some variation. Some of, them, some of them kind of spiral out from the head and some of them no, he's swing talking about, more into the jaw. No, he's talking know, about asymmetry between left and right. Oh, yeah. no, no. I, they seem the, to be on the same. Pretty. Even I, though, I've seen one that was very like funky, deformed, didn't even have like a curl at all it just kind of oh, came, really? came out oh. and just down it's just like this big like it had been damaged clubby. at some yeah. point yeah huh. yeah it's like a big mass of horn you saw a photo to... of it yeah yeah would that be sought after just like you know sure non-typical rack sought after by me <laughs> <laughs> if the other side's legal yeah <laughs> yeah I, the uh i killed the, the second one i got um was broomed on one side and full spiral on the other side Broomed because it broke. It's abraded. Oh, it's okay. not snapped. I got another one that snapped, but it didn't snap all the way. But you can grab the end. You can grab the end and wiggle it. Huh. But it wasn't an abrasion. I guess they probably always, maybe not always, but I think they may, might snap them and then abrade them. But what it seems that they don't like is they don't like it. And some rams don't like oh. it in their peripheral vision, it seems. And so they'll work on them. I've even seen bighorns scraping their... I've seen bighorns on you know out at Wild Horse Island where that new world record one came from. I've seen bighorns out there just scraping, hmm. scraping his horn. I also watched one bud a tree. I was I was out there. I can't remember. I think I think he, if I remember right, he rammed a tree. He rammed a ponderosa pine seventy two times in a row. What? <laughs> yeah. Bad day. I was just counting how many times he's doing it. Dang. Step back. Bad day for Boom. the pine, man. <laughs> Boom. I even went down and examined that pine when he got done and plucked some hairs out of it. Nice. Yeah, he just kept, he just was ramming the tree. It was like he's like in an insane asylum, man. <laughs> Maybe he's he had tra- that. He's stuck on an island. Yeah, he's training. Is that what it is? It's just practice for the fucking. Yeah. One time we were floating, we were floating a river hunting mule deer, and I kept thinking someone was shooting a 22. I'm not joking. Oh, but you kept I kept being it. like, who is, why would be like shooting a 22 off up there? And eventually realized it's bighorns smacking it's, heads. Oh, sweet. It was late October. Big or maybe early November and bighorn they were in rut and the bighorns were up there cracking heads. That sounds cool. like a gun going off. That's a story like a story I saw my brother drew a bighorn tag and we kept going down to this area to try to find sheep and couldn't find sh- sheep and, and I I got to be like dismissive where I look up on this hill and I'm like, Oh, it's mule deer way off on this mountainside. I'm like, Oh, there's a couple mule deer up there. And all of a sudden two of these mule deer stand up on their back feet. <sighs> Tuck their front arms up, run at each other, and smack heads. I'm like, oh my god, it's shit! <laughs> Big arts. Oh, I want to see that bad. <laughs> yeah, they do. They tuck their arms and. <laughs> Remember that Mountain Dew commercial? No. Where there's a there's a dude who takes was it Surge? Maybe it was Surge. He takes a big gulp of this soda pop and goes yeah. at it with the <laughs> ram. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> now you guys, uh, you like to dip, uh, you like to spit, chew spit in Dew bottles. No, I don't drink dew. Oh, because most no. guys that dip, I notice they really have a tendency to want to yeah. spit into a dew bottle. High school, mm-hmm. that was this came thing. up when we were talking about the the redneck call. 
The guys, mm-hmm. they have to drink the Mountain Dew and then they do the redneck And they call. thump their tin oh, can yeah. and, and other rednecks tin. come running in their direction. <laughs> uh, where were we on sheep? Seeing the Yeah, so the band fire. of Rams, man. Yeah. And I look at, like I said, I give everything the benefit of the doubt, you know. Like I want it to be legal, but it's just not legal. We got pretty close to them too, right? Later we, we got, did. Yeah. No, there's no doubt in my mind that we, like, it's not one of those things where I'm like, man, I feel haunted. I remember hunt, hunting doll sheep with Danny one time. We were hunting with another buddy of ours, and he put a stalk on a ram. Like, we determined a ram. We're like, that ram's legal. He put a stalk on the ram, got within rifle range, and comes back down the mountain. There's no shot. He's like, I don't think it's legal. Man. He had to leave. He had to take off. And we went and refound the thing all over again. Well, we did a bunch of hunting first. Couldn't find, couldn't find a bigger one. And like, oh, let's go back and check went that Went and refound guy. that one and shot in those full ram. So Aww. you found it. Second guessed it, didn't think it was legal, and then someone else second guessed it. Wow, we were pretty convinced. Yeah, it was harder than I expected. It's scary, to, man. To yeah. be fair, that was a small ram. Yes, it's very small horned ram. Yeah, yeah. But he had a full crow horn. Yeah. So if you if you put one down that is kind of right on the line of like legal, and then you go to get it checked, like what's your con? What are the consequences? They take there? it away from you. You just that's it, and I, I probably fine you. Yeah, the yeah. last ram. The last ram, so I, I've only got, like, I've gotten two. So when I say the last one, I mean, the, 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 the second doll ram I got was out of a special management area that has really big rams. And so there I was, they had the luxury of a ram that was like well in excess of folk. I mean, just, you look at them, he's like, that some bitch is way full curl, mm-hmm. right? Um, so then you're all cocky when you go down to fish and game. So go down there and not having any apprehension about what, any, you know, not having, like, even in the back of your head, there's no, like, man, what are they gonna, what if they, right? And we get there, and there's a dude checking a ram, and they hold his ram. And I come in the door, I'm thinking, that thing's not full curl. They hold his ram. A trooper comes in with another ram that he had confiscated, where he goes to check a guy at an airstrip and he's like, did you get one? Yeah, I got one. Let me see the head. Oh, it's in the bottom of my pack. At which point he gets real interested to see the ram. <laughs> Not even kind of. Like, this one's like, no argument you made for it. Finish checking my sheep. It's mandatory check. Like, you have to bring the head down to have a check. Finish checking my sheep. Here comes another couple guys. They pull out a ram. I'm like, that ram is, no way is that ram legal. And then the, the, the guys were already kind of getting like, you know, I didn't see where that one led, but they were already sort of, in the seconds we had to look at it, they um, had, you, you could tell it wasn't going to go well for that guy. So it happens more often well, than you'd think. There was, I saw, counting mine, there were four and three of them, three of them, one was not even under consideration. Two of them were like any. I looked and I'm like, there's no way. And the and the guy and the biologists were definitely sort of. On one had said we're holding it. One had already been confiscated, and one it wasn't going well for the guy. When they take that plug, that's that's the definitive like age thing, right? No, that plug is to mark it for uh, legal trafficking. Oh, okay. When they plug it, they drill a hole and drive a plug into a metal. What is that thing? Yeah, you know, it looks like a shell casing almost that they, they drill a hole and pound it in there. Yeah, yeah. It's discreet. You always got to look for it when you go to find it. Yeah, they put it in a spot where it's kind of hard to see. But 
It's got a number on it. Yeah, I think it's just proving that you, you know, had your RAM sealed. And if you have a, you know, a fresh RAM head in your possession without that plug in it, then that's trouble for you. Not yes. good. So if they if they confiscated, what happens to the meat they, and the head? They, they auction the they auction the heads off, and then the meat does it go to waste, or what do they do with it? Oh, well, I'm sure it doesn't go to no, waste. It do, I, I, no, I I don't know what they do with it. I sure guarantee food, it doesn't go to waste. I'm sure, they food bank it. Sure. Yeah, that'd be my guess. Yeah. Do you get any like hunting right restrictions if you? shoot an illegal ram like do they like yeah there's a system there's a there's a system in place that's people should know about um there's a cooperative of states and it grows all the time where when you lose your hunting rights in one state yeah for a while it's like seven states in the west had this cooperative where if you lose your hunting rights in one state you lose your hunting rights in the whole and i think that that cooperative you lose your rights in all states that are involved in the cooperative and Yanni can maybe check this. I feel like it's up to like 42 states. That's a lot, man. That's good. Yeah. And I feel like I think I remember seeing that Texas isn't one of them. Texas isn't one of them. I think I've never seen it, but I could be wrong. We should check to make sure. You mind checking that, Giannis? That's interesting. So then you doing people, all right, Giannis? Mm-hmm. Um, That's yeah. good, I think. So, yes. But I, when you hear someone losing their hunting rights, it's egregious stuff. Oh, so you could make a slip up and shoot like a seven-year-old ram even if you think that you're not doing anything wrong, bring it in. And I don't think there's any way. Bring it in. You're yeah, not right. gonna lose your hunt rights. Yeah. Okay. With guys that lose their hunt rights, it's usually like like legit poaching, serial poachers. Yeah. Or you just did something. Not really? like you made a mistake, but you did something like bad. intentionally. Yeah. Though I do remember a guy. I do remember a guy killing a grizzly that he mistook for a black bear. But I think there was an attempted cover up. Mm. And I remember he had a $10,000 fine, seven years revocation of his hunting privileges. He was from Pennsylvania, but lost his hunting privileges in a Western state. And I remember, if I remember right, it was right when, when Pennsylvania joined that, that oh, so he also cooperative. So I remember thinking like, man, he can't even hunt at home now. Man. But I think in that case too, I think that the, it involved some deception. Yeah. So is, is it fair to say that if you call yourself, you, you make a mistake, call in, report yourself, they're going to be more lenient on you, or oh, is that totally? Yeah, like more lenient being, yeah, just in a terms of like in a relative sense, I would yeah. say like yes, because there still has to be some punitive action, but you know, confiscation for sure. Yeah, confiscation. But you might not sure. get hit with a thirty thousand dollar fine. Or yeah, hit on a, I, I can't really speak. So I'm sure there's plenty of case scenarios to look at, but. I've had the conversation with quite a number of people and everyone has always expressed to me that um that that when you self report, it's a lot better for you. Right. Than when you don't. And so like this dude that tried to hide the ram, mm-hmm. like we, we actually got to talk to that trooper for a while. The guy that tried to hide the ram from him, the dude was seriously annoyed. Sure. Oh yeah. That he had to play that little game. Oh, I bet. And he and we even I think I even asked him at the time. I, I'm almost certain I asked him at the time. Um if that like colors his impression of the case and he was like absolutely man when i gotta like force you to let me look in your backpack is a lot different than you let me look in your backpack yeah right there was a poacher at our around where we have a family cabin in sealy swan Mm -hmm. night sniping big mealy bucks Mm. i think i heard about this guy he's from pennsylvania oh okay i didn't hear about this but he got jail time i mean it was bad enough it was crazy what states are trying to do now is i shouldn't say trying to do now a a thing that states do and i think it's becoming a a, a more popular idea is trying to apply the right economic value to the resource that you've taken 
because it used to be that that you could shoot like a trophy bull elk and it wasn't as you could poach a trophy bull elk and the punishment would be worse if you stole someone's lawnmower out of their garage okay. like so you can steal a 300 hundred dollar lawnmower and it's you know like this misdemeanor offense that could come with potential jail time right mm-hmm. but you could shoot a trophy bull elk and we're just treating it like it's nothing we're treating it like it's this like essentially valueless entity and you get like those, some little slap on the wrist so now when you, like there are several states possibly more that have gone in and said like they apply the Boone and Crockett scoring system or take another scoring system and apply it to poached animals. Mm. And if you turn out to be like a, po- and it's trying to differentiate like your pot hunter from, yeah, from, meat from like someone who's like really going out to try to like harvest high end trophy animals and then coming in with a fine system. If you're shooting like really valuable animals, like what is that animal's value to the hunting community and what exactly have you stolen? You might have stolen something that's worth twenty, thirty thousand dollars Whoa. Well, that dude that put- And it should be treated as such rather than you shot a cottontail rabbit yeah. out of season because it was getting into, you know... Your shit. Yeah. Just like that it's not all the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, he, that, that guy in Sealy Swan, I, I was told or read that he poached enough big bucks that it affected that entire Man. region's genetics. I don't know about Not that. Not genetics, but you know they weren't breed like he, he was. He He's was, putting a, put a hit on the put a hit on the hunt. Yeah, yeah. There was an interesting situation near uh, Fort Campbell in Kentucky, where these guys were sneaking into the closed off areas on the base, like the impact areas. So, like you know, on any big military installation where you've got ranges and you know aircraft ranges and things like that, we're shooting live ammunition. Basically, the backstops of those areas are just coated and like unexploded ordnance and you just don't want to go back there they're just completely closed off areas so what ends up happening is these you know deer will never get hunted and they live in those areas and they're licking like the sulfur off the rounds and stuff (laughs) oh is that right yeah Yeah. they get huge yeah giant giant racks so these guys who weren't in the military they're just living outside the base they were able to drive in uh through like one of the back gates and they were sneaking into those areas that are full of like unexploded bombs (laughs) and poaching deer year round and they got busted, and they had like you know forty heads sitting in a barn somewhere in Kentucky with really really interesting. They had like like parachutes, um, like oh, for flares. You know what I mean? Like, so like stuck in their antlers, stuck in their yeah, stuck in their antlers and stuff. There's you know photographs in the newspaper where they're just these really unique heads, bomb range bucks, all kinds of stuff all over their heads. Yeah, and they got them all. I, I want to say they got the seven year ban as there's, well. There's a I was talking to a. A conserv- or like a game warden one time who was giving a presentation and it was about his idea that the same he had this idea that was like there, there's like serial well put this a different way he was adopting something that's well known in crim- criminology and applying it to poaching which would be that you have serial criminals so like like most law enforcement agencies the FBI they're, they're focusing on like serial criminals thinking that you could reduce n- by removing 10% of the criminals, you could affect 90% of the crime, mm-hmm. right? So that's why you mm-hmm. put so much emphasis into like organized crime rings because it winds up being there's like a ring of individuals and they're involved in extortion, prostitution, drug trafficking, auto theft, right? And if you can find these, these core groups and take those groups down, you're doing more to eliminate theft than you are by going after all the petty individuals who are one, doing like onesies, twosies. Right. And this guy had come to this opinion. He had all this data to back it up. That, 90, that, that 10% of your poachers are doing 90% of your poaching. 
and 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 he got into he was into this idea of like who are these individuals what are their motivations and what are their markers and he was giving presentations to other state agencies to try to describe what he would call super poachers hmm. like what is their motivations and um a thing he found again and again is like that they the garages and the sheds that they don't tell anyone about they're just full of trophy animals mm-hmm. And they're motivated by, the, they're, they're, one of their main motivations is they have some criminal background, and one of their main motivations is a fuck you to the state. <laughs> like Freeman type assholes. Yep. yep. Don't you, you're not going to be telling me. Mm-hmm. And they usually come out of some kind of, they usually have in their past some kind of situation they felt wronged, they've been in trouble with the cops, antisocial, and it's just like a, point of pride for them to stick to the man yep i got all this stuff don't you tell me what i'm gonna do i hate those type of people mm-hmm. yeah the and he had a lot of pictures the garages and storage sheds packed with antlers like a weird form of a little trophy room huh. the secret trophy room that only i know about or like me and my brother would ever know about you know Quick update on the uh, Interstate Wildlife Violator Compact. That's what it's called? That's what it's called. And now there are 48 members, including Texas. All right. The two that are not, um, Hawaii and Massachusetts. Massachusetts is working to join right now. It doesn't say anything about what Hawaii's got going on. What do you hunt in Massachusetts? Whitetails. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you hunt there for, for big game. Yeah. I don't know if Massachusetts. I wouldn't be surprised here that they do not have a bear season. Definitely whitetails, and then all manner of small game, fowl, upland waterfowl. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart, or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. 
The reason I like black buffalo pouches is one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Um, Where were we on this whole thing? Cheat. Day two. Oh, why you can't go killing on the rams that aren't legal. And I'm telling you, man, um... It's hard to judge them. It's hard. And when I say judge them, you might be like, oh, you know, like if you start talking about judging the mule deer, there's no legal ramification. It's just you want to find a big one. But with a ram, it's like a tremendous amount of pressure to get to make the right call. And the handful of times I've been in a situation where you're like shoot and you're walking over there, it's extremely stressful because you're doubting your own decision making. Even on the case of one where it's like so clearly, man, it's like it's nerve wracking. It's not fun. Oh, it is nerve wracking. The minutes that pass between you touch the trigger and you getting over there is a not fun bunch of minutes, man. Uh, and then we hike that drainage up to the glaciers at the head of it. And it's like a beautiful start kind of situation when you get up there where the ice is ripping the mountain to shreds. And there's spots you can stand where it's just like you can just stop and listen and it's just rock raining down everywhere around you. Click, 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 click. Big rock, small rock. It's just it's it's constant though the sound of it, like the mountain getting ripped apart by the ice. I was I had a feeling of doom up that first drainage. Mm -hmm. It was like a death zone, man. There wasn't anything living up there. Yeah, it was weird. When you get get the head of it, we came back and I saw green for the first time. I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense now. (laughs) (laughs) I feel better. But that was weird. We found a drop moose antler. Oh yeah, not up in the glaciers, but way higher than any willow, you know. And he had somehow wound up there, or it fell out of a plane, and, and yeah, or it fell out of, or it fell out of that dude who hunts shed out of his airplane. I think he might have dropped. <laughs> yeah. it. Bear, bear in mind that that was that that he shed that antler in what that's December, a, January. That's what's maybe. crazy about it. You little, go a little later sometimes, February. Our pilot was saying that uh, those sh- 
moose hang out out there in the flats, right? And they hang out there until the snows get too deep and the wind piles up the snow and then they'll actually move into that high country to find the windswept places. Yeah. Oh. But he he was so high there wasn't any browse up there though. Right. Yeah. He might not know it because he's just digging through the snow. I don't know. He was he was a half mile above any willow. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. But yeah, you get up around the glaciers and it's like it's like the earth at work, man. What yeah. was that Leopold quote you guys mentioned? That was cool. You kind of Yanni should look that yeah, up. Yeah, I want to hear well, that. that Luna yeah. Aldo Leopold's son, the author of Sand County Almanac, had a son who became a hydrologist, who's got to be still alive. I don't know. Oh, was his son's hydro- quote? I think it's his yeah. son, Luna Leopold. I'm going to tell you what I think it is, and then Yanni's going to tell us what it is. Rivers are the gutters through which run the ruins of continents. What's your guess? That's pretty pretty spot on as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's going to tell us all that silt. I think he was a he was a a fluvial geomorphologist. So he a fluvial geomorphologist. Yeah, he, I mean he studied how rivers you know create landscapes oh is that right maintain landscapes yeah he'd have a good time up there obviously oh, nothing, oh, nothing he has you can't seen. yeah you can't have a fluvial geomorphologist that spends time around glacial rivers yeah what's interesting about the glaciers is uh it's like huge tall packs of ice but they're filled all the way through with rocks mm-hmm. yeah it was like a giant rocks growth ring too that one mm-hmm. all the sediment and the different freezing levels where you guys kind of Stop for a bit. yeah. No, you can see the accumulations. The, yeah, the melt accumulations. Uh, you not find it, Yanni? Rivers are the are the gutters down which flow the ruins of continents. Nailed it. Spot no, I didn't on. nail it. You said through, right? I said rivers. Down. Okay, compare it again. I said rivers are the gutters through which flow the ruins of continents, but it's actually down. So you just missed. You just oh. you swapped through for down. Right. That's pretty good. Not bad. <laughs> so from there, so at that point, we've seen a uh, band of ewes and lambs, sow grizz, two cubs. Six sh- rams. Non-legal yeah, rams. Yeah, some number of rams. Then we ran around to explore the other fork of that thing and then drive, eventually made our way, a day or two later, made our way up into... Saw those rams again. Considerable weather delay. Oh, yeah, that's right. We got up, went into another valley and saw the same batch of rams. And the rams kind of drift around in weird ways, man. They're sort of like in the same area, but they're using different stuff. And this time they were down in the bottom of a big hanging valley. Got a real good look at them. But we saw them skyline. That yeah, they're hanging out on the ridge bedded. The, sa- the same ridge we initially saw them on, but then eventually they just popped over the other side. So, you know, they were only you know, maybe, what, a quarter, half mile from where we had seen them, but they're just in a different valley now. Yeah, drop down to a different place to feed. They like to go up to lay down. They like to lay down on, I don't know, man. It's hard to describe where they like to lay down. Well, Shitty they spots. love ridge tops. Ridge tops, even descend finger ridges. But yeah. And just rock piles on drag. finger ridges. Yeah. Or just like the highest, like flat spot. You know, the one, you know, I think a spot you'd say like is like two, that's kind of the perfect spot where you have two rivers come together. And like the ridge rises up out of that thing, yep. and it gets like real high and craggy. And he sits up there, and he can look down and he can kind of monitor what's going on. And the two drainages below him. Yeah, I spend a lot of time looking down valley, and lay in a down valley direction because they know that nothing's coming from above. 
The primary predator, though, for the lambs, one of the primary predators does come from above because one of the primary causes of lamb mortality is golden eagles. Eagles. Yeah, we saw a fair, uh, fair number of golden eagles. Yeah. All, and they're always soaring around those ridgetops, you know. Golden eagles grab the babies or knock them off and pick the carcasses up or feed on the carcasses after they knock them off and make them fall to their death. I had a, a pilot one time told me that she saw a uh, golden eagle carrying on the wing, carrying a lamb, a doll ram. Wow. Golden eagles are hard on mountain goats, too. A ram. Lamb. 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 There's a, a biologist wrote a, there's a biologist that wrote like Natural History of Alaska, and he had an eyewitness account of a lynx killing a doll ram. Oh, wow. What? He, eyewitness account. From another biologist of a lynx that ran a doll ram down a gully, jumped on its back, bit the back of its head, and a single lynx killing a ram. Lynx. That's a mean lynx or yep. a weak wow. ram. Wow. And then wolverines oh, yeah. kill them. Obviously, wolves kill them. Grizz. Yeah, they kill them. Black bears? You know, black bears, I'm sure, do, but they don't make the list as much as uh, wolverines. More and brown. scavenge. I think, it's, I think the top are wolverines and brown bears. Tony, for one area. Tony Russ talks about it in his books about hunting doll sheep, that they're pretty weak animals. Like, you know, he's talking about it from, like, a projectile standpoint. Oh. You know, arrows hitting them in funny places, bullets hitting them in funny places. But it's not like an elk that soaks up hit. the lead, and then, like, two days later, you're still tracking it, you know, three ridges five miles away. It's like a ram, once he takes a hit, he's, he's not going far. He's going to lay down. Not tough. Mm-mm. Not tough in that regard. Mm-mm. So, you know, maybe a bite to the back of the head from a lynx, it just slowly starts to take the blood out of him, and it weakens him enough. That... Yeah, I should say, I kept saying back of the head, the neck, bit him on the neck. Yeah. Killed him. A lynx. We saw a lynx print. Yep, saw lynx tracks. But they're snowshoe hair specialists, man. Grouse, snowshoe hares, lynx, ptarmigan. That's what they specialize in. Yeah. Surprising to see, you know, that he would do that. Man, he's got a square meal laid out ahead of him <laughs> after doing that. He's got protected, though. He's like the dude with a nice car in a shitty neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just worrying about his kid. Yeah, man. Now. You can just imagine how stressed out he is. He's, he's like, like Some uh, bitch, someone's going to take this from me, man. <laughs> what am I going to do now? No one's going to let I me put have the this. In. Yeah. Someone's going to take it. Hopefully he did it in the winter when the main things they're going to take it from him aren't around yeah. when all the bears are underground. And then we worked out in an area that Dirt dirt dubbed it God's Penthouse. Yeah. That was beautiful. The other head of the valley. Like nothing I've ever seen. Oh, dude. At first when you said that, I thought you were being profane because I associate Penthouse with the magazine. But then I remembered that it's um, actually like a type of room. Yeah. Like the a best, nice room in a hotel. Room, yeah. yeah. It's like, a real myth. How <laughs> dare like, Oh, that's right. It's a really nice. House usually has a view too. Yeah, which yeah. that did. And well, the color we were talking about the colors, like of the tundra. It's like these crazy just variations. Oh my god, it was beautiful, man. Yeah. Huge spires covered in snow. Yeah, and just huge. Like you think it's like wow, this area is huge. But then beyond it, there's. So you're trying to like understand the infinity of space, and you're thinking like, well, somewhere there's a brick wall, but then beyond that, there's something. Yeah. I mean, if there wasn't, right? When you're there, you're like, you sort of go like, wow, you know, look at all the space. And you go like, but then 
but then and up there it's like tens of miles. Well, Chris had an interesting. You could go without running in anything. Oh yeah, you know? that point about if you could if you could lay down a, a city block in that landscape oh, to get yeah. a perspective, get the size scale. comparison. Yeah, yeah. It just you just see massive. so much country when you're up high in there. You just see so much. It's like hard to take in what you're really looking at. I remember taking a guy caribou hunting, and he hadn't had a lot of experience hunting like open country. Oh Remember yeah, this? yeah. And we asked him how far caribou away it was away. He expressed it in blocks. He <laughs> 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 was three blocks away. I remember thinking, man, this is gonna be a hard trip. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, that place is pretty magical. But again, no rams. Using nope. lambs. And by this point, we're days into the trip. We've lost a lot of time to sit in. And bad weather. A lot of time to sit in bad weather. Because when, it, when it's foggy, you just can't see. Yeah. Cloudy. I kept debating, is it fog or clouds? What do you think? Fog is a cloud at ground level, right? So it's, Is that what it is? Yeah. That'd be a good thing for Yanni to look up. There's the fog <laughs> I think cloud. it's the same. I feel like it is. Some it's of our water, man. Yeah. Just, yeah, because I, it, we'd be like, we're up in the clouds, or we'd be like, oh, we're in the fog. But either way, you just like when, when you can't see, you're just shut down. It's not like a lot of stuff where you just got to plow ahead, right? Or just wait for one to come uh, along. Yeah, or just wait, because like... <laughs> a thick cloud of tiny water droplets suspended in the atmosphere at or near the Earth's surface that obscures or restricts visibility. Oh, okay. So chemically... They're the same. It's a thick cloud. Clouds. Sitting in the clouds, and there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. No. At least that morning when we woke up in the in God's penthouse, it was clear. Blow and freezing. It, it's just nice because you get to look at it all and go, yep, we've seen it all. We've cleared it. There are no rams in here. Let's move on. Yeah. 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 It's nice when you can have that certitude. Because a lot of times you're walking through, and you're like, I don't know. Like we would just travel when it was when it was cloudy. We would also just travel. Like you're going to walk three, four, five miles into a new zone. And then sit there hoping that it clears up. Or you have to just kind of sit there as the clouds blow through. And now and then you sort of keep a mental picture of a mental map of what you've seen or not as the clouds have come through. And you'd be like, man, I still haven't seen over in that area. Then all of a sudden that area will clear up enough for you to look. But it just doesn't feel definitive because you're trying to find a white animal and white clouds. You lose a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Danny was telling us something interesting. Uh, explain what you'd read about the things that factor into hunter success rates oh yeah that that uh, the yeah, fishing game has a cool publication that i read before this hunt but one of the interesting things in there was that uh the number you know they, they fly annual surveys to to index sheep abundance and the, the, apparently there's not a relationship between the number of rams in a given area and hunter success that it has more to do with just the weather in any given hunting season like if you've got if you got clear weather and uh good visibility then you got higher success rates. Yeah. That's got to be something that's that's got to be something that's applicable in a lot of places but probably nowhere as severe. Like you think of like weather, I think well, not waterfowl is huge, man. Like weather for waterfowl in some areas where you don't have local birds, right? The weather can like ruin the harvest for a particular certainly area. affects it, yeah. Yeah. But in in sheep hunt it's just like so kind of it's so stark, right? Either you're hunting or you're not. Yeah. It can be yeah. that you just, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. Ducks would be like, man, it would have been a lot better had the weather been yeah. bad. Yeah. We got, a, we got a few right at daylight, but then they shut down because there's no 
birds moving through. Yeah, because there's no there's no clouds, so they're flying too high or whatever it winds up being. But this is like this is yeah, it's just like it's kind of like almost like on or off to some degree, being able to hunt. And also up in God's penthouse, there was caribou running around. In there. Oh, nice mm-hmm. ones. And it's funny because like a thing about caribou I always think about is how sort of um, disorganized and like and, oh, yeah, and not de- and not deliberate they seem. Like at one point in time, when we were trying to go through that area, remember we tried to go above that canyon and couldn't had to abort mission and go and sleep. Yeah, and then try another route through. Three bulls are trying to come down this hillside. And they can't see us or smell us. They're way away. We watch three bulls, and they come, and they kind of get confused, and they're clearly trying to go somewhere in a hurry. And then all of a sudden, they're down feeding, back kind of where they came from, and then they're there 24 hours later. I, I, so it's like, so what was it when you ran? They were doing the same. They were trying to come down through the same stuff we were trying to go up through. And they realized it was too steep at the same time we realized it was too steep. <laughs> they backed off and spent the night uphill, and we backed off and spent the night downhill. I know, so, and, then we, and then we crossed paths with them again the next day on the other side of the valley where we could travel. I and think that, they were doing the same thing we were doing. It's so, because they seem as, like, on one hand, there's, like, the, the, so the largest land mammal migration on the continent, caribou, right? They can pull off some really astounding feats of navigation but when you're looking at a caribou particularly up in the mountains oh. it's like do you have any plan <laughs> <laughs> he's just like you know what i'm gonna do man he says he's like, i'm just gonna run like holy hell over that way and in a while later i'll run back over here. <laughs> yeah it's so weird watching them it's like, weird what are they thinking they also don't get as scared as other animals of people like because no, we ran up on them just to film and just see them yeah they're quite curious and then yeah they came towards us and then you guys were down at camp and me and danny were still up high and then that one bull just like ran almost like it spotted you guys and then rather than running away it started running uphill towards camp and then it got really close i threw up my range finder he was 29 yards away when he finally changed (laughs) his mind (laughs) he was like oh wait a minute this isn't my crew i gotta get out of here he came to us looking at us he's because i think that they're you know they're so gregarious Mm -hmm. and they're such they have such a herd mentality uh, I feel that when they see something that's like kind of the right shape, they think it's another caribou. That they're like, I'm not going to go so close that it could pounce on me and kill me, but I'm going to go under the assumption that I'm looking at a caribou. Yeah, it's the only thing I think is, especially like out on the Arctic, like out on the Arctic slope where you see huge distances. Most caribou that you you coming across landscape, most caribou when they see something, they in some way kind of skirt. They, they in some way want to kind of come to you to, to I, I, they're going, they have to be thinking like, I'm going to rule out that it's a caribou. Yeah. This is the first thing on their mind. And also I just think that they, the way they travel, move, I think a lot of them go through life having no experience with people. You know, it's not like, like a, like a white tail buck that gets me yeah. five years old and all that thing is done his whole life is dodged, getting killed. Yeah. And he learns that when you see that shape, Get out of there. Yeah, you want nothing <laughs> yeah. to do with it, man. Because I've seen 16 of my friends get ice. killed by those things. <laughs> yeah. I think, that the, I think that the caribou are just, for whatever, it's like it's more beneficial for them to find other caribou than it is to run the risk of that you're running up on something that's going to do it. And I think a lot of them haven't, don't have any human experience. That's pretty cool. I think in that country, I think a 10-year-old doll ram has to have probably accrued some human experience. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, we saw tracks in a lot of the drainages we were in. Foot yeah. human tracks. Yeah. I think that they at that age, I think that they've have had exposure. Or they just learned to be paranoid about anything. You know. But like caribou, it seems like their like their success as a species has so much more to do with like just like high fecundity than it does to any one individual. Um becoming real caging and wily. Because I just never seen one that was like real caging and wily. Well, it hasn't hasn't worked its way into their genome, I guess. Yeah, um, they like to lay in the snow a lot because they get away from bugs. And th- that's the thing I know. Like before hunting caribou, you would see them now and then run, but you could tell because they would run when the wind died. Yeah, because when the wind died, the bugs were too bad, and so then they'd run and stop and feed. And then you'd see you could watch it happen enough minutes would go by that they'd pick up their swarm of black flies and mosquitoes and then they'd run and stop and feed. And, run, and that was just their grazing pattern. Off and into the wind, too. Yeah, their grazing pattern was just like to get clear of your cloud, eat, get clear of your cloud and eat. And you'd sit there. And it, I remember getting up in a good glasses spot hunting caribou out on the Arctic Slope. And you get up in your good glasses spot and nothing's happening. And then midday, it'd be 11 o'clock, it started to get warm, it started to get real buggy, and all of a sudden the land would just come alive with caribou. Because all those caribou were just nestled into their little dips and valleys and stuff where there was good lush feed, and the mosquitoes get bad, and you'd start to see them rolling over all the ridge tops as they're trying to run away. And then it'd be like, good. Then the hunting's good because you can all of a sudden see them all around. Then it'd cool off or it'd get windy, and the, the, the amount of movement and activity would die down. Strange animals, man. I like to hunt them, but it's like generally if you get on one, you're going to get them. Mm -hmm. Well, the one broadsided itself at like 50 yards maybe to us. And I was like, dude, you're just, what are you doing, man? You're just asking for it. (laughs) He's being a caribou. Yeah. Yeah, we could have got caribou in that area. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't want to carry one that far. No, that would have been a long, long haul. So hunted out God's penthouse. Um, Triple nip. Went to triple nipple. That looked spectacular. No one shot home. at a ptarmigan on the way to Triple Nipple. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he shot at a ptarmigan using rat shot, <laughs> uh, which isn't. You say they're working on a better version of that? Well, I, I I picked up a box that was bigger. I mean, that is slightly bigger shot. What was it, like maybe nine shot? Number nine? Yeah, it looks bigger. So well, we're talking about a shotgun shell so you can shoot out of a 44 yeah. mag. So you, yeah. got a bear protect, you got a bear protection pistol. Just talk about what tell tell everybody what you have for bear protection. All yeah, that kind of Smith and Wesson forty four, mile twenty nine. I think that is. I don't know. Yeah, we got the exact same one, but I yeah. don't know what model it is. It's, called, it's the Airlight PD. Yeah, super lightweight. It like doubles in weight when you load it with. I think it more than doubles, but yeah, grizzly bear <laughs> yeah. rounds. Yeah. It's, it's got aluminum. Light. It's got a bunch of aluminum it's on some it. Titanium, I think. Yeah. Um. But anyways, yeah, it's we're, a real popular. Bear sidearm. I think it's kind of made for that, right? I would think so. Yeah. Hurts like holy hell to shoot that thing, man. <laughs> Hurts your hand. Yeah. But they make a shotgun shell. Everybody calls it rat shot. Yeah. You're not getting many in there. And you know, we were talking about why why it's hard why it's hard, why you have to be at point blank range for it to work. And it's not really the velocity or anything. It's gotta be the fact that you, there, there's no choke you know, to that round. And so oh, yeah. even at 10 feet, stubby you know, little who, barrel. Who, and... who knows what that pattern looks like? It could be spread out to 
five feet already. It's ridiculous that we don't know what the pattern looks like. No, I know. That's right. I was gonna, pa- <laughs> I was gonna pattern we were gonna it at pa- the strip. Yeah, we were gonna pattern it at the strip, but we didn't have a piece of paper. Yeah, or I kind of forgot about it. I never thought, dude. I just know that I've been. Um, I know that I've been. We had a lot of shot opportunities one time hunting sheep. And I remember just sometimes being like, "How in the world did I not get that thing?" Yeah, I think it's it comes down to luck eventually. That pattern's so loose. I also remember we were a time we were out and the weather was really nice. And we weren't even setting up tents. We were just laying out in the laying out in the tundra to sleep. I remember waking up in the middle of the night. I remember it was 2 in the morning, but it was earlier in the season. It was 2 in the morning. I remember waking up at 2 in the morning. There was a group of ptarmigan in amongst our sleeping bags. Yeah. <laughs> They're really active at night. Yeah. yeah, moving around in amongst our sleeping bags. I remember shooting one of those at the rat shot, but it was point blank, you know. Um, but other times you shoot, you're like, what in the world happened? I think the effective range of that is like stuff is maybe like 10, 12 feet. Yeah. You're, pretty, you're pretty good. Outside of that, it's hit, real hit and miss. Uh so we tried that. That didn't work. Um, went to a drainage called Triple Nipple. Then went around. Finally, then had all kinds of walking, all kinds of weather problems. Our eighth day, I think it was our eighth day of hunting. Yeah. Our eighth day of hunting, the weather got broke and got beautiful, and we happened to be in a valley where we could get up on a ridge got up on the ridge and it was like the uh, like the the perfect the world's most perfect ridge where you could look down into multiple drainages if you kept going along this ridge and it was like just like you expect it to be and everything's great we see a band of lambs across a valley far away use or band of ewes later watched a grizzly stumble into those ewes i think he's just minding his own business feeding on berries but scared the shit out of those things <laughs> they, man they left the left country. the drainage yeah in a single file running line when that thing showed up. I look up and there's just like sheep running. And I'm like, if they went at us from two miles away, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. But it was, uh, yeah, then I looked more carefully and there's a grizzly feeding on blueberries right in the little patch they'd been in. So I think, I don't, I don't know. I didn't see what happened. Maybe he does, he's like, what the hell, I'm going to run after him and see if anybody's injured. Yeah. But I didn't see what happened, but they were not happy with that situation and totally left, like gone. Um. And then Danny, sure enough, like kind of like I felt like what happened when conditions are so good is finds a ram. A clearly legal. What horn was it? Left. A left horn that was curved in such a way it was like that ram. Well beyond full, full curl, yeah. Curl. Like yeah. no stressful walk over there. <laughs> It'd still be stressful. Yeah, it was a solid ram. It was a really nice ram, yeah. And he's perched up in a rock pile. Just like you described, man, on a subridge that divided a valley into yeah, like two. Yeah, a center ridge between, at the confluence of two streams. Mm-hmm. That He's up, yeah, posted up on that center ridge line in a little... And he knew what he was doing, man. Not far off the bottom, No, man. not far off the bottom. No, but he, he knew was, what he was doing, he dude. He was tucked into a little, like, it was a little cubby that he had there with a bunch of rock around him. Hard to spot from most angles. He kind of did what like whitetails like to do, man. I I didn't went through most of my life not knowing this, but uh, Kenyon always talks about this too. Is like those like mature bucks like to lay with something with a backdrop. Mm-hmm. They like to lay where they can see out and where something can't see them good from behind to back up into something. Yeah, where he's like, I can see this way, 
usually if it's if there's a pitch yeah, they, to they it, they can cover about two seventy, and there's it rolls off on three sides, and they're behind them. There's a log or a real thick, dense stand of you know to help obscure him because he wants to be obscured from where he can't. He wants to be hidden from what he can't see, but then see, you know, but then clear view sight for what he can see, and that's that dude had it dialed. And that little spot he had, man, it would very difficult approach. Yeah. I bet you a lot of rams have laid over laid there over a lot. Oh, of, I bet. And yeah. if you could somehow kill off every ram that lived there and then repopulate it, it'd be like one's probably going to find that sure. spot. <laughs> He's probably going to be like, yeah, it's a sweet spot to lay down. Hard to approach. Yeah, so we were on the ridge. What what was I don't I don't even know what our elevation was. Uh, was, we, we topped out at we topped out again at like it was fifty two hundred where we topped out and then I don't know we did some up we did some down but somewhere around that mark and he was maybe six hundred feet below us okay yeah I think he was six hundred feet below us a couple drainages in between. No, yeah he was at forty you know what he was at forty five I think he was at forty five hundred feet but just no there's no you can't come from it was impossible to come from behind him. Um, there's been no way to come from behind him. So the first thing, I mean, he's a ways away when we spot him. Yeah, mile. Well, yeah, yeah I'd say a couple thousand yards away. Um, and we realize that. So Danny watches the ram through a spot scope because the first thing we got to do is like we got to move somewhere because. We had gotten where we were in the fog and sat in the fog to wait for the fog to clear, and all of a sudden it clears and there's a ram there. So we didn't know if we could move because we had gotten where we got obscured by fog. And then the first thing is like, well, can we even move from where we are without him taking notice of us moving from where we are? So Danny's watching through the spot scope, and I just start skirting down to the nearest gully to get into to go downhill out of sight. And I move across the hillside, not even 100 yards, but just move. And Danny watches him to see if he like takes interest in what I'm doing. But he doesn't take any. He doesn't. He can't see us. So yeah, I mean, I was, the one time I told you to stop is because I mean, he was pointed in our direction, like he's oriented toward us. And the one time I told you to stop is because he stopped chewing his cud. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, something's up. <laughs> and he went back to chewing. I'm like, okay, we're good. He repacked dip. <laughs> <laughs> so. We get in this goalie that's going to kind of like deliver us down into his zone, knowing that there's still going to be a lot to figure out. But the, the cliff face he's on, you can see these bands, these discolored bands in the rock. And so you know he's like, I, I just remember memorizing, he's like below the third band. Yeah. Exactly. So no matter where you go, you can find that, that cliff he's on and count the bands and kind of know like his little zone. And start trying to go down this goalie. It's very treacherous, scary in places. A lot of loose rock. There's a lot of places. You spend a lot of time hunting doll sheep in places where um, can't make if mistake. you fell. Like, let's say if you, like, because you're not going to, like, people don't just fall all, all of a sudden. But, like, if you fell in some sort of, you would die if you fell. But it was not like, some places you die if you fell and you could really picture falling. A lot of places you realize, man, if you fell, you die, but why would I fall? It's usually that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah if but like how would you like people don't just fall over all head, of a sudden head start, first off yeah, of fall mountain. over <laughs> yeah. rolling downhill it's usually like different where you sort of slip yeah you kind of slip and cling down but if you got rolling there's no 
end of the role. I always had it in the back of my mind when we were side hilling on all that stuff that like if for some reason with like the pack or whatever, if I just tipped the wrong way and you didn't fall into the hill, you fell that's away what trying, from that's it. That's what I'm yeah. trying to say. Oh, yes. man. Yeah. yeah. That was the only time. Like if I slipped and like tripped and then you end up falling the bad way, that's when it that's when you're not having a good time. And that's the thing I was telling myself. When, when you do, when it does occur to you, it's hard to get out of your head. Yeah. But I think like, but all the times I've spent walking when in places where that's that? not true, I've never fallen that way. Yeah. I've never fallen away from the hill. Then again, it only takes once. Yeah. You fall <laughs> yeah. into the hill when you fall. Yeah. Yeah, I think your natural inclination too is to just air in that direction so much with your center of gravity that you, that you just, yeah you lean into it. Yeah, I was trying to figure out also like how I was going to self-arrest with the camera if I did start sliding. If I was just going to be like, bam! No, don't do that to our don't do that to our gear. <laughs> I would expect that you set it. That you'd find a place on the way down to set, set it, it above a rock or something, and yeah. then you just go unhook your cord and just go. <laughs> you know it's Steve and I were Steve and I were crossing uh, uh icy God was that an av- yeah, was a shoot where an a- a la- avalanche had ripped through right and it all went down to the bottom. We were watching avalanches all that day. It was that wet snow? We were mountain goat hunting. It was yeah. wet snow laying out wet grass. And I had and Steve was below me. He had crossed that snowy chute and headed down. And I was above him crossing and I slipped and I was going down. But I had an ice axe and it was fumbling loose behind me and I got it, the ice axe in both hands and I was just starting to dig that thing into the snow. Like it was a pretty clear slope. I wasn't about to go off a cliff or anything. Mm-hmm. I was just gonna go for a long ride. And oh, there's one rollover that I couldn't see what was in there. But then it was clear again below that. And I am got my ice This axe. was so scary when oh, this happened. Fuck. You swept by me. I kind of tried to grab No, here's you. what happened, though. I, I, I don't know if I told you this at the time or not, but I, I had my ice axe in both hands. I was just starting to press that thing into the snow. And I see Steve running out, and his ice axe is dangling from his wrist. And... And all I can see is that ice axe like going into my face. <laughs> so I had, I had to drop my ice axe to deflect your ice axe. And I totally lost my self-arrest and rode down for another, I don't know, what, 50, yeah, yeah. 60 feet? And you got hurt. I got banged up. Yeah. I mean, it could have been a lot worse, but I got banged up. You could have died. Couple, Not I mean, there. Yeah, no, I'm else. saying like that sort of that right? sort of thing. Oh, if that sort of thing where all of a sudden – you're just going. Yeah. Yeah. That certain that, that circumstance was a relatively benign, you know, it was a scary ride down a mountain. But if yeah, if that was over a cliff or into a rock face, I mean it could have been yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant by could have died. Like yeah. that kind of fall where you know, there's a an abyss below you. Yeah. I had a, I was told a real interesting example of risk management and like you know, we're all in the mountains a lot, so we can do that, like I said, safely and outside of like some freak, you know, weird fall, you're going to be fine. And I was talking to this, uh, a Yosar guy, Yosemite search and rescue about big wall climbing. Yep. And people are always like, how can you do that? It's so dangerous. And you know, how do you not die? He's like, well, if, you, if you're good at they what do you die. do, well, yeah, they do. But his, <laughs> yeah, They all die. Well, his point though was like, he's like, if you're, you know, you, you're comfortable in your environment, then it's it's an example of like I tell them if you're walking down the sidewalk and you fall into traffic you're gonna die, but you just don't fall into traffic. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. When you're walking down a busy street, like, like man, if, if I, I fell in front of that car, way, yeah. 
Well, dude, every time you drive on a two-lane road with like a 55-mile-an-hour speed limit, you're passing another car within five feet of death every with time. With a 110-mile-an-hour yeah. combined yeah, velocity. Yeah, you do that thousands of times. Yeah, yeah all the time. Drive. So you don't yeah. focus on you're that. You're not like, geez, if I somehow oh swerved <laughs> over into yeah. traffic, I'd be dead. <laughs> I do think that all the time. Yeah, no, no, and then you do have this kind of thing. I think, uh, yeah, I watched my kid, one of my kids recently sort of have the idea of the cooperation it requires for highway driving. Mm-hmm. He was like asking questions about, you know, that everyone needs to be on the same page out here yeah. driving around yeah. like yeah. this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like we need to be abiding by the same rules yeah. and interests. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all want to be alive. Self-preservation. But uh, all that said, man, there is... Like now and then, there are some moments. Well, we aborted a hillside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We didn't do a hillside because the, the 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 gap below you was there was like high consequence. It'd be like you're. You it's not like oh you're gonna get banged up. It's like you're done. Yeah. If you go, there's no way to stop. And then there's a then there's a, a yeah can, a canyon. And it was wet, raining, and, and the hillside was coming apart. Yeah. And End we of were the day. And we were cold and tired. tired. Yep. yep. And around here, like these are new mountains, man. They're like very new, sharp mountains, and they're just falling apart. Uh, there's a term in geology, the angle of repose. It's like when a hill relaxes. Mm. Like everything on the hill, like the, the hills achieved an angle that everything on the hill is going to kind of stay where these hills are not at their angle of repose. Mm-mm. No, uh, to demonstrate that farther, when we were coming back the next day on the easy slope side and looking across, you could see where <laughs> oh. boulders, rocks, you know, who knows what kind of size. We didn't see the boulders themselves, but where they had fallen off the mountain, they'd be on shale and scree for a while, and then they would hit where there was actually grass growing. Hit the tundra, yeah. And it looked like... Um, I guess it would look like a golf divot, you know, mm-hmm. when someone kind yeah. of shanks and you get like a two to three. Is that a golf foot. term? Yeah. Shank? Yeah, it's not, I guess it's not a. Sh- what is it when you make a divot? What do you do wrong? You just I, I, dig in too yeah, deep. You just hit too low. But you basically something. make like a big scar in the turf. That's a great right? example. And it was like hundreds of yards of this going down the mountain. So there's so much velocity and speed and, and mass because it's just so steep and moving that it's just ripping these giant divots as it's moving down the hill and skipping some big sections oh yeah oh, yeah like 30, <laughs> 30 yard jumps of, yeah. yeah we saw several places where there were very fresh landslides some of them big enough that there was like a whole new like side drainage mm-hmm. that had just released and and all that sediment went down to the valley floor and all of a sudden there's like a new valley you know catastrophically formed we were, I asked about that lake. We saw there was a lake and a very peculiar lake in a very peculiar place in the bottom of one of these drainages, and you could see where the whole hillside gave way, came down and formed a lake. And I was asking the pilot, and he said it was sometime within the last 30 years, but okay. it wasn't the last few years. Yeah, the, a landslide had just sloughed all the way to the valley floor and dammed up the creek. And uh, yeah, and then there's a, obviously a brand new lake there. But not a lick of vegetation. Yeah, I mean it looked well, brand new. Yeah, yeah, and the landslide was a different color. You know, all the other all the other uh, rock around there had kind of a rusty orange color to it, and that new slide was gray. And I assumed that once that oxidizes, has, a yeah, bit, it has it's going to turn to that same orange color. It gets a patina. Sure, yeah, it gets patinated. Um, start down this gully, like trying to get in the ram zone. Not like clear, kind of like obvious what the what the possible shooting perches might be. 
but because you can't, it, it, the ram was too far to hit him with a range finder, and so you couldn't get, you couldn't measure other points. Yeah, because if you're looking at, like, let's say you're sitting there and you're looking at a, you're looking directly at something you're trying to sneak up on, and you're like, and then on, before you see like a little rise or like a little ridge, and you're like, man, I wonder if I could shoot from that ridge. And you range find the object you're trying to get to the animal, and you're like, okay, that the, the you know it's 1,100 yards away. And then you range a hill or a little knob or something your side of it, and you hit that thing, and that thing's 800 yards away. You're like, money. When I get to that spot, I'm in range. I can make my shot. yards. But you couldn't hit the ram with a range finder. So there's like a lot of questions about what need to happen. And I was even saying like this ram, like I'm definitely not getting the old gut knife out and getting it ready yet but we start down this this we start down this chute and it's really steep and you're kind of like on this open screen side but there's these rock bands these little like mini chinese walls that that are crossing and every one of those is a cliff and you kind of pick your way around one like drop it in the next drainage you go down it's another cliff and then it's then as you go down it picks up where it's got a lot of flow there's a lot of water coming out everywhere and so then it's like these waterfalls it just it just becomes like it just became hard to picture it working out, and eventually we we get to one spot where you can kind of get up and look at the ram, and he's over six hundred yards away, bedded down. It took us almost three hours to make it to that spot. Three hours to drop down that. Yeah, that wow, it did not feel like that long. Mm-mm. It felt like an eternity. I thought, man, dude, I thought it was like it thirty quick. minutes. Yeah. I couldn't believe he was still laying there. Yeah. Because I was watching those ewes and lambs, and they're up feeding away. They were bedded when we found them, but eventually they're up feeding. I'm like, he's probably up feeding by now because they're up feeding. But three hours later, there he is. Still hanging out. And the wind had been like, in the goalie bottoms, the wind had been going up the slope. And we pop up on this little sub ridge where you're looking across, and we just get up there. We were not up there long enough to even like really get serious about making a plan. That bitch stands up, which is never a good sign. Oh, yeah. And I think he winded us at 600 yards. He never looked in our direction. Yeah, but at that moment, the wind was going, you know, we were sort of in the Straight in him. the wind of the main valley at that point, and that was going. That's a good point. The gully, yeah, there's little subwinds yeah. going up the gullies, but the main valley also has its wind direction. Yeah. And you pop up on the ridge out of the gully, and I'm like, and you hit, I feel that wind in the back of my neck, but it was so far away, I didn't think it mattered. And all of a sudden, never looked at us. Some bitch stood up, and there's a look to him like they don't do anything fast. Nope. They don't do anything. Everything they do is leisurely and deliberate. And he got up and was like, I'm out of here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get out of here very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go breaking my leg, but I'm getting out of here. And he got out of there. I don't think it helped that you had six, no. six dudes uh, who haven't showered for nine days. <laughs> 600 yards out, uh, 600 yards upwind. No, it's like a, it's a thing, man. It's like a, it's the, the, the camera crew effect, you know, and you mm-hmm. can never measure it. I mean, sometimes you can measure it. Like sometimes you see something happen where you're like, I'll be like, I'm facing forward and something happens where I know I wasn't the one that did it. Where all of a sudden gets, something gets real interested in what's going on <laughs> in our area. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, I've been sitting here, man. I haven't moved. <laughs> Anybody moving? Uh-uh. That's when you get the sneeze look. Nope. Yeah. You're like, oh, shit. Damn it. <laughs> Someone moved. Um, I feel like a, like a kid that did something wrong. Yeah. 
That's the only thing that makes me mad, man. And yeah. I feel like I've done like clinics and workshops and everything where I'm trying to be like, here's how to approach game. But it doesn't matter because even up triple nipple, we're going up a little box canyon and we get in, through the last box canyon and all of a sudden poof, the whole triple nipple valley. And you sons of bitches run out. Yeah. You guys like run out like a couple, like opening the door for a couple dogs in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> you guys run out of that box canyon. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, we had, we the had... whole point was this moment. This is why we've come up here. Yeah. Was to get here and look. <laughs> I think it's, it's like, what is going on? That goes back yeah. to your argument of like turning a hunter. Is it better to turn a hunter into a cameraman or a cameraman into a hunter? You know, because like in that moment, I was like, oh, there's this cool thing and like this cool feature and like it'll be a super cool shot if I'm out here and get the dudes coming around. But in your mind, both of your minds, you're like, this is our like secret zone to scope this whole thing out. Nobody move. You yeah. know, so like our, the mindset is just you just got to make that switch. Yeah, we're peering out from this little gate where yeah. we're hidden and tucked away. And it's like, if there's like, something oh, here good. at this point, it would not know that we're here. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm thinking like, oh, that's a cool wide. <laughs> <laughs> I was just reading an article. I was reading a long article uh, about when these uh, white supremacist dudes were going to give a lecture at Berkeley. Like they'd been invited by some student club to give a this, you know, one of their white supremacist. Oh, know, like freedom of little, speech. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And so there was an article about how Berkeley was handling this and what they were going to do. And, um, one of the people who's in charge, one of the people, one of the administrators at the university is discussing this sort of dilemma. And she realized that the way that these people manipulate the lead up to the event and turn it into like a news event and a social media event, like all the lead up and, and it becomes more about the response. And she was saying like this person saying that the metaphor I'm starting to see is like, I traditionally viewed a lecture and the digital recording of the lecture as being an object in its shadow. Mm. And I thought that this person is going to come give a lecture and the lecture that they're going to give is the object. And then out of this will come a recording that people consume and that's the shadow of the object. But she said, what I've come to see when dealing with these people is the object is the digital, the digital portion. That's the object. The actual thing is just a shadow of it. And I, I was reading it the other day at the airstrip, and it occurred to me, like, there's this thing in recording hunting and making, like, a, a hunting show is, is you, like, in a perfect world, you imagine that the hunt is the object, mm -hmm. okay? And the thing that we create is its shadow. But in a lot of ways, just out of the reality of it becomes that the thing we're creating is the object, right? Mm-hmm. In the hunt. Like there were times when we were we had we sat still because the, there's no way that the cameras could withstand that amount of rain. Yeah. So we're like, there's no sense of going because we can't film anyway. And so you're in this struggle where all of a sudden the thing we're creating, the digital impression we're creating, becomes the object, and the hunt itself becomes its shadow. Yeah. And and you're always pushing and pulling on those two ideas. Yeah. You know. So what is the object and what's the right? It was, a, like, it was a good thing to read at the right moment. Yeah, like, man. It was a good expression. It was a good metaphor for it. That's a good way to put it, for sure. And for the greater good, I think the object being the story dig digitally does, does more for people than 
a successful hunt for you without the story. Yeah. So you, that's why you make that call. But you're right. And it's it's like there's no end to it. And it's, a con, it's like this wrestling match that constantly occurs in your head. Yeah. And when I get pissy and frustrated in my head, I often think too like that the doing of this enables so much of the of, of the, the doing of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But it's it's a it's a tricky thing that and I'm sure that anyone that turns anyone that turns a passion into an occupation. Yeah. And it's a situation you guys are in in, in as cameramen, because here you are, it's like when you come out with us, you're working you work eighteen hour days. You work twenty four hour days. Yeah. Yeah. There's no escaping it. Uh uh-uh. uh. You're just sleeping in a tent in the mud. Even sleeping is a little work. You're burning calories sleeping. It's you know? hard. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. When you gotta go like dig out, when you gotta go like <laughs> dig out a place to sleep. Yeah. But when your passion is <laughs> is doing that, yeah, then it makes it easier. <laughs> That's what I mean. But you're like, so am I at work or not at work, yeah, man? Not at work. If I'm working around this like eight day shift, Dude, me, yeah. me, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one big long. Me and my younger brother, who's a photographer as well, went to our older brother, who's a carpenter's house, and was helping him move some dirt. And, you know, like, just manual labor, and we both looked at each other like, damn, we're glad we do what we do. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not out here doing a nine-to-five grind, you know. Yeah. This is hard. And I've done those grinds, man. Oh, me yeah. too. That's why I appreciate what I do now so much. I remember in, high, in high school, I worked for this, late high school, I worked for this industrial painting outfit called Quality Maintenance. Well, two of them, Pennington Brothers and Quality Maintenance Contractors. And one time we were um, – me and this dude from high school, Craig Kemp, had to like degrease all the like roof trusses in the auto parts manufacturing oh, place, dude. So they could come in and paint them. And I remember being up there, and we were on these like scissor lifts, you know. And I remember being up like working with the, just this endless pile of rags and degreaser, trying to get the stuff so it could be coated with paint. And be, when we showed up, like the first shift dudes were there. And me and Craig are up there. It was like such a tight deadline that we're up there. And I'm still in high school, man. It's like a weekend thing. Organic chemical degrees are probably. And eventually, those sons of bitches were back again. The first shift guys were back. I was like, I recognize that guy from when me and Craig started. <laughs> That's how long we've been up there degreasing these things. And I'm like, the whole damn shift came through. And at one point, I said to Craig, like, the only way I'm going to make it through is if Crazy Train comes back on the radio. Because <laughs> they're playing, like, radio. And, like... Crazy, like it wasn't even a new song. We were there so long, degreased and shit that Crazy Train got played twice. <laughs> and I was like, man, I don't know. I need to do something else here. <laughs> I don't know about shift work. I don't know if I'm gonna make it in this occupation. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's that. Uh, what was Ed's quote? That's that fire that forms us. Are those... Forged by fire. Yeah. We had another job. Danny worked this job. Remember having to hand chip paint off a rail around a sewage treatment? tank oh god because they Dude. couldn't get you couldn't sandblast it or soda blast it because they couldn't have the sand or baking soda getting into the sewage because mess up the sewage treatment so you had to sit right up this little plastic tarp and bang on it with a ball peen hammer <laughs> oh my <laughs> god dude this is a huge tank and it was a three it was a three rung guardrail around it with vertical <laughs> supports and we had to bing off every square inch of that paint man we'd come back weekend after weekend tink, 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 tink. <laughs> you guys like rhythm play crazy train on the ladder just tinking it off with hammers. Not so can. hard to the den- not so hard to the den of the metal, but just, just hard right enough, enough to knock just hard enough to knock off a chip of paint about half the size of your pinky nail. Oh. You guys would be so good. So yeah, then when you're up there like have, your biggest problem is your camera guys keep busting out into the open, you're like, oh, I can live with this. <laughs> <laughs>
I can live with this. Yeah, man. That's all I got to say about that sheep hunt. <laughs> <laughs> he got away. He got away. Yeah. He's still out there. If he's lucky, he'll be getting bigger. He's mm-hmm. going to be a real nice one. Like Doug Dern, nice buck next year. Mm-hmm. Nice ram next year. Uh, yeah, maybe de- maybe a dead ram before uh, before the end of winter. Yeah, they don't get old. Yeah, we found uh, yeah, oh, yeah got it. we found a we found a ram skull, uh, a winter kill presumably right right by camp. So yeah, when they get that age, they don't last a real long time. Even in the unhunted population, um, they just drop off like flies after ten. Yeah, yeah. I think part of it, right, is they is that they're just not. They work so hard during the rut, right? And they're not putting weight on. And they go from top of the heap to dead. Yeah. They get up where they're the man, and they they rut in November and expend us a tremendous amount, tremendous amount of injury and expose themselves to a lot of risk. Yeah, a lot and of they, predation risk. And I they imagine. go into and then they go into the and they go into the winter not kicking ass. So you get these ewes that'll be twenty and stuff, right? Yeah. But then you get these rams and they and and it, like I said, even this unhunted population that they were doing that, like I think that when a ram gets thirteen, he's got a hundred percent chance of not being alive in a year. <laughs> Whoa. And at ten, it really drops off. Yeah, they go from being the man to nothing. Not like us, we have this long forty-year period of watching ourselves go to shit. Just decay, <laughs> just slowing down. All right, Danny, got any uh, final things you want to add? Um, yeah, we well, we I, we started talking about it yesterday, but um, yeah, we should find a time and try try giving it another go. Oh, it's all yeah. Every time I hunt in Alaska, I come away just like obsessing about when I'm going to do it again. Oh, I know. You know, yeah, I was thinking about this morning. We're we're trying to go on a moose and caribou trip here and uh my hunting partner having boat trouble and everything else and thinking, man maybe we should just go back out sheep hunting do a hike in <laughs> pounder uh as a camera person don't skyline yourself or bust out in the open at inopportune times that's your concluder <laughs> yeah get in the mindset of the hunt that's right. The object in its the shadow. The object in the shadow. <laughs> Not the cameraman in his outline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The skyline shot's the one of the better oh, shots. Oh, it's a good shot, man. It's <laughs> a good shot. Dirt myth? Um, I was thinking about it all, all week. It was really cool watching you guys as brothers hunt because I'm, I'm really close to my brothers and like you guys' stories, and that was just kind of neat. You know, different. Yeah, from you know, my, other guests, I guess you guys. My, my first exposure to you and your brothers was being at your dad, mom's house in Mile oh, yeah. City, and there was a picture of you and both your brothers on a mountaineering trip. I was yeah. like, "Damn, those look like some interesting dudes." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you were right. Yeah, you were right. So that, yeah, it was really fun hanging out with you guys and watching you hunt together. Thanks, Dirk. Yeah, reminded yeah. me of my yeah my good times, with my bros. Janice, <laughs> I just had to reiterate, man, what a pretty, pretty place that was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. We've been a lot of places the last five years together, and this one might top it for scenery. It's pretty dramatic. It is just yeah. Every view's you know breathtaking when you get to see it. You know, we only had two real bitch and weather days out of eight in the field, and those two days, man, it was, it was something special. I'm really drawn to those glaciers, man. Yeah. Like, looking at them, I mean. Yeah. You kind of like. Yeah, you don't want to hang out near them for too long. But they're like fun a good to place look to at from killed. a mile away. Yeah. Good place to get killed by a rock. Mm-hmm. 
or just lifeless too you know like yeah. lifeless from not lifeless yeah it is it's, it, it's intimidating man but i like being where you look up and you go like oh there's like the end yeah there's like the end that's yeah. where this river starts and the, the weather's so much squirrelier up by him too windy yeah because the ice makes its own wind. It's definitely not lifeless. I mean, really, it's the beginning of it all is what you're looking at. You it's know? a good perspective. But, yes. uh, yeah, it's the beginning of life. No, it's or, cold, though. When you get up oh, in there, there's mm-hmm. no shaking it, man. Yeah. There's a cold that's just is going to your bones. Yeah, <laughs> like they, they kick off their own little weather. They kick off a, they kick off a wind, like all that cooling air just rushing down off the ice. It's, and a lot of moisture condensing and that cold air around them. Yeah, we got snowed on August. Yeah, there's, yeah, that's another weird thing about Alaska is getting snowed on in August. But I already heard there's uh, my wife was just telling me a little snow in the mountains around our new house there. Yeah, all right, Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Levi, concluders. Hell, hell of a hunt. It's glad to tag along. Much appreciated. Do you like that more? Do you like when they make you march all around in the military? No, that was a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a good time. I appreciate the chance to come out and hang out. For oh, sure. fun, fun hanging with you, Levi. Yeah. yeah. That was good having you, man. Yeah. Thanks for the puking rally, especially. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah, that was really, that. Yeah. to go from puking to better that fast. Yeah. And it wasn't a drinking puking. It was a sick no. puking. Yeah. I, so I went to bed one night and then woke up in the middle of the night and had to run outside the tent and try not to puke on Giannis and... Yeah, I was yep. wondering what you're doing out there. Yeah, ran out. I thought it was dirt started. having night terrors, and I realized that someone was throwing up outside the tent, which is never a good sign. Ran out, and, you know, chucked up my dinner, and then uh, Yanni and I woke did up a mega like, hike. Yeah, <laughs> I woke up three hours later and went down mi- another ten miles. Yeah, <laughs> had to run back to base camp for some batteries. More than ten miles. Yeah, it was it was a long jaunt. It was a good it was a good hoof, but definitely worth it. And uh, yeah. Well, we hope to have you back again when you're, uh, depending on what you got going on. I'd love to, for sure. All right. Thank you for joining us, as always. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field 
ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that sport dog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash meat eater to learn more.